Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening and go Cougs. Tuesday and the Wise Guys are back. The best day of the week is here. Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler, live from Provo, Utah at our undisclosed location for security reasons. Yes. Uh, thank you security. for being with us. <laughs> yeah, we need we need a lot. Of, we need psychiatric yeah, lately, help. Lately, we, need we need security. security. Uh, so. We got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. We're going to have some great guests. And, um, and if you're just dialing in and this is the podcast and you're listening later in the week, welcome. Thank you for, for uh, listening to us. And uh, we hope to be able to get you through the day. Sometimes this is group therapy. This is the third week of group therapy as BYU has lost three in a row. And Tuesdays, you know, we get to be together a lot of the day on Tuesdays. Yeah. So by the time we get to this part of the day, we're already off the ledge. So, so then, so once we get off the ledge, then we can help you get off the ledge. And yeah, because it's tough. It's tough to help someone up when you're right. also down on the ledge. Yeah, right. So it's hey. You can't help someone up unless you're on stable ground yourself. So we, we have to get that going first. And, and by, you know, hey, when they win three in a row, it's we're here on Tuesday night. By the time we get to this point, we've thought through it, and we realize they're not quite as good as we thought, thought they were. And so our job is to have a leveling effect on everything. Yeah, right? yeah we're so. going to talk you through it. Before the show's over, you're going to go, get me to Friday night. Let's go. Right. we got another football game. It's cold outside. It was raining and a little bit of snow. Uh, today here in Provo, uh, and we're going to have about 55 for a high on Friday with some sunshine, but that game doesn't start till 6. It's going to be a chilly second half and a very cold post-game show on BYU TV. And, and everybody knows about this crazy stat on BYU on night games versus day games. Yeah. Like, thank goodness they're playing at night again. And Vegas, by the way, knows this they very much. They know this also. They're like, they know hmm. this. Yeah, for, for some reason, BYU doesn't lose in games that start at 6 p.m. or later. I made a note here. Since 2019, they're 21-3 in games that start after 6. But, but what happens and that's in a little what, better. What happens in afternoon games? Uh, not so much. Yeah. yeah. They're like 7-13. and 13. Why is that? Did you, I did you play in very many night games or were most of them in the day? We played mostly day games yeah, back in those days. And, so in, you know, we, we won most of the time. You know it's, what? It's, it's As I'm thinking... Like, pe- pe- you know, we say, yeah, we won most of the time. We, first of all, we didn't play the kind of schedules these guys play. Yeah. Um, and we were really, really good. But we had a couple of years. Like, we had 1982. I was on the 82 squad. We weren't great. We lost a bunch of games that eight year. Eight and four, right? For, for BYU standards. And just let me say, an eight and four team with that schedule, last year's schedule, this year's schedule, would have been lucky to be six and six and get to a bowl game with this year's schedule. Um, so we, we, we go eight and four against, you know, we only had to get up for two or three games a year and played some really, really bad teams. So, yeah, I so we, you know I I know what it's like to not to be on a team that's struggling a little bit. Hey, Outlaw Bandit, hang in there. I know it's been a tough three game yeah, skid. Wait, wait, what's Outlaw's, Outlaw Bandit saying? He's right there on the edge. It's just to put the sharp objects down, back away from the ledge, and listen to this show, and we'll get you ready for Friday. And no, they're not going to yeah, give says, up two thousand yards on Friday. They might give up ta- a few. He's talking about in the last three games. So oh, yeah, that yeah probably well, is here's 2000. the other thing. We'll call it like it is too. And. And, and everybody keeps asking me, 
what's wrong with the defense? And I, 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 I watch every single play of every game on film. Yeah. So the above you, and the offense isn't helping them either. <laughs> not no, that, not that that makes you feel any better, but um, I, I promise you, the defense wasn't that bad against Notre Dame. The offense was struggled against Notre Dame. The defense was horrific against Arkansas, and the offense was a, okay, a little bit better against Arkansas, but didn't didn't help them out. Yeah. And then. Both sides of the ball were not good last week. And and I'm going to put a 50-50. People, defense is really obvious because you go and look at the points. But when your offense has one drive in the entire game, one drive the entire game, they, they went down and scored a touchdown. Then they had an, an easy touchdown because BYU got an interception and gave them a 27-yard field. And then they never scored again. Not only did they not score, they just kept going a minute and six seconds, give the ball back. A minute and 13 seconds, give the ball back. It's crazy. And, and people are going, well, the, the defense couldn't get off the field. That's why the offense couldn't score. Hey, got news for you guys. The offense had just as many possessions as the other team. There you go. So so was the defense awful? Yes. Yeah. But but the offense. The needs, offense was worse. And, and, and you help the defense out. When you go out and possess the ball a little bit, and they can after they've just defended an 11-play, five-and-a-half-minute drive, the worst thing you can do is go out there and throw a pick on the first play. They didn't do that last week. They did it the week before. Or go out there and have a three-and-out that takes a minute and six seconds and put the D right back out on the field. Yeah. And then guess what, else, guess what happens when that happens? Then they get another 11-play drive. But if your offense goes out and they hold the ball for five minutes, even if they don't score, say they get four or five first downs and that defense regroups, then that defense goes out and has a much better chance to maybe get a stop. But if you're doing nothing on offense, your defense has no chance. We've got the perfect guest for tonight's show. Yes. Uh, Brandon Doman's back with us here in just a few minutes. He played with an injured shoulder during that 12-2 uh, and two season. Jaron Hall's got an injured shoulder. We're just not sure to what extent. But we're going to ask Brandon what it's like to play through that kind of stuff. Right. How you can make throws. Can you make throws? Um, is, it, is it not bad enough to get you out of the game? but not good enough for you to excel in the game uh, because no kid wants to come out. Right. Doman didn't want to come out of a game. No, and, and, and Brandon also has a unique experience where you know, he played on some teams that won a bunch of games. He played on a team that, that came out of the gates and won 12 straight, but he also played on a, on a team that had to win their final game to even get to 500. Yeah. Right, so he, he knows what it's like when, when you're struggling a little bit. It'll be interesting to have him talk about how you get over that and get back on the winning track. We also have Steve Cleveland with us tonight. Yeah. And and Cleve took over a BYU program that didn't they weren't familiar with winning. No, they were one in twenty five. They weren't familiar <laughs> with winning. I'm really interested to talk to Cleve, our good friend, about how you change that mentality. Now BYU's certainly not BYU's got a bunch of kids and coaches in this program that you know were eleven and one two years ago and ten and three last year and have won more games against P fives than any two-year span in the history of – in fact, they probably won more P5s than any single player in their entire careers right. combined have won at BYU, yeah, right? for sure. So, so these guys know how to win, but I'm interested to ask Cleve, when you get on a three-game slide like this and things seem to be going wrong, what what do you do? What are the things – like, what would he do as a coach? And he's he's had to do this. Yeah. So it would be really interesting to see. Hey, and this um, is cool because uh, the, the seasons are about to converge for right. us. Tomorrow night we're on the mic – on the BYU TV app for the blue-white game yes. for the basketball team. So Coach Cleve is on tonight on the eve of that. Such, such fun, such fun um, guest tonight. I think really timely that can help us all put things in perspective. Um, so, uh, one, oh, man, Outlaws, he's on the ledge. Outlaw, 
No. We got to get you back. Come on, the guys buddy. on defense were so bad. Corner Canyon could have beat BYU. <laughs> That's it, not true. It, it's, it's not true. BYU would beat Corner Canyon by a hundred. It, it's it's like people say to me, oh, Alabama is so good they could beat. Like I don't know who's the worst team in the NFL. Out of uh, who it used to be the Jets always, but now it's not. Yeah, I can't say that anymore. Um, right? Gosh, I'm not sure the who team. the worst. But, team but is. let's say in the old days the Jets, the Alabama could beat the Jets. I, I got news for you: the oh. Jets will, in the bad days would beat Alabama by fifty. Yeah, the the jump in level is so ridiculous because everybody on the worst team in the NFL are the best players from all the teams like Alabama and Ohio State. It's it's not close, and the jump from high school to college is not close. So we've got a couple of minutes before Brandon. Let's take care of some business here, and when we'll get some headlines. So follow us on YouTube tonight. Uh, we put a link in the chat. Hit the subscribe button. That's free. And then click on the bell, and then you'll get notifications when we post something new or go live like we are right now. Yeah. More subscribers we get, the longer we get to do the show. So get yeah, your friends and if, on and there, and too. What's nice is you'll get a little notification. and We post a bunch of highlights, little snippets of yeah. the fun parts of interviews and stuff. So then you'll know they're there and, and know that they're for you to go take a look at. I got the highlights the other day, and I was listening to them. And I'm like, that's a great show. And I'm like, that's our show. That's what our show is. You get the highlight clips. That's right. Sometimes we don't have two hours to just, well, the podcast is different, but yeah. tonight is Tuesday night. Things are busy, but we'll it, slice it, it up. It does, doesn't cost you anything to follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitch. Uh, it's a free account. So what you do is you, you click on the chat button in the lower right of the screen and sign up for free and, and, and follow us. You can do it that way. Um, or follow us on wiseguys.com, ysguys.com, and subscribe. And if you subscribe, you get our weekly email with highlights from the show. It just comes to you, so you can just click on the links on that. It makes it really easy. Uh, so if, if any, we'd like you to just be on here with us live as much as you can or watch it in its entirety on yeah. whatever format or listen to the podcast. But it's nice to kind of get that link to some highlights and be able to just listen to the highlights if you want to. And things are... Uh Things are happening for this show. There's some exciting things coming, and we want you to be a part of it. And, uh, and we certainly thank you for giving us some of your time uh, this week. Uh, a lot of things going on. Let's jump into the headlines. BYU's back home Friday night against East Carolina. BYU Sports Nation game day. DJ, can we pop that up? Begins at 6 Eastern, 4 Mountain on BYU TV. There's the gang. We'll be live from Cougar Canyon outside Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Basketball coach Mark Pope's going to join us live on set. I sit down with Tyler Batty to talk about the defense. Mm -hmm. And Isaac Rex is in the film room, all leading up to the Cougs and Pirates. Yeah, kickoff is at 8 Eastern, um, 6 Mountain Time. It's going to be on ESPN2. Big game in town on Friday night across the country, which is fun. The live post-game show going to be back on BYU TV. As soon as that game's over, come back and join us. So we'll get you to the game, take you for two hours to the game. Then you go over to ESPN2, you watch the game, and then you come back to us, and we'll get you out of the game. And hopefully it's a little more fun than our post-game show last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know there'll be 29 degrees during our post-game show on Friday night. Just the third meeting between these two. Uh, each team has a win at home. BYU won it in 2016. We were on the call for that one, 45-38. to 38. And then they went to Greenville in 2017, and the Pirates beat them 33-17. to 17. But weather in Greenville, North Carolina this time of year is different than out yeah, here in it's, the West. It's, an, it's, it's a challenge. There's a reason BYU wins at night, especially at home. But um, So the weather report for this Friday here, sunny, high of about 54 in the day. So that, you know, no peak, what, around 3 o'clock? Is that what we're doing in terms of peak right now? I'm hoping that peaks but, when we're on the air. But a low of 27. 
right? Yeah. We're supposed to get a little bit of snow tomorrow. So we're going to come in. They're going to see snow on the top of the mountains. That's just going to make them cold to just look at that. Yeah, just seeing that. They're going to come two time zones west. They're going to play at night. So they're going to start the game at 8 o'clock, 8.15, their body clock time. Game will be over at after 11 p.m., their body clock. It's going to be cold by the time they're done playing. And they're going to play at elevation. They're from sea level. They're almost at sea level. I'm telling you, that's a tall task. BYU's had struggles going across country and, and playing on the East Coast when they go two time zones. And teams have difficult time when they do the opposite and they come especially playing at night in that environment with those fans. And East Carolina doesn't see a student section like the Rock going nuts and causing them to have false starts and all that. So th there's a lot of things about the environment and the game time and all of that. Uh, that that's an advantage to BYU. So if the Rock is the twelfth man, Old Man Winter could be the thirteenth man, and 13, 13 guys can beat eleven. Yes, out there on the football field for so. sure. A white helmets, royal tops, white bottoms, royal trim, old school. Very very traditional. BYU. And then BYU's favorite, as you mentioned, a three point favorite in Vegas. Um, you know that's for the home field and all of that. Um, you know, if you look at the R the RPI or the the rankings, all the different formulas, East Carolina is slightly ahead of BYU, um, and it's based on what's happened the last couple of weeks. So, which BYU shows up? Is it the BYU that played in the first three games of the year, or is it the BYU that played these last three? So, well, the record is five and three for the Pirates. They beat Central Florida Saturday and looked good doing it, yeah. thirty four to thirteen. They, they remind me they got a little bit of Arkansas in them. They have a little bit of Liberty mm -hmm. in them. Uh, I think starting with that quarterback. Yeah, I think Liberty is maybe a little bit uh, better defensively as a unit. Um, they just seem like they're just more assignment sound and a little more. I just feel like it's a little better defensive team. But I think East Carolina is very skilled offensively, a veteran quarterback. Um, and they run a lot of the same kinds of things where they run this run pass option where the quarterback rides the back makes reads, they, they, they play action off of that. He can pull it and keep it himself. He can give it to the back. A little different. The back's small, quick um, type of guys. The receivers are small, quick guys in the slot. Um, and and you, BYU's got to play great on the edge in this game, Dave, because they'll hand the ball off inside, yeah. and their, their leading rusher likes to bounce the ball to the outside. The edge hasn't yeah. been a good place for no, us. No, and BYU has to do so much better. Um, on the edge if they're going to have a chance. They've, they've got to be really, really solid out there. So the Pirates have wins over Central Florida, Old Dominion, Campbell, South Florida, and Memphis in four overtimes. Uh, none of those guys are going to jump off the page, except Central Florida was 5-1 and one before they that, that's got the, beat. The eye-popping one was Central Florida. I was like, ah, East Carolina, they're okay. Then I watched them this last week, and I went, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. Central Florida's been very good this year, and they literally – Gave them all they could, all they could handle. So. so they have losses to North Carolina State uh, when the Wolfpack were number thirteen. They're still ranked. That was twenty-one to twenty. They had a shot in that game, and then got beat by Navy, which is a surprise. Uh, and then Tulane's in the top twenty-five now. So yeah, that's Tulane's right. a good football team. And this this quarterback Holton Allers, um, he's going to remind you a little bit of Arkansas's quarterback. He's a big guy. Yeah. He, he's six foot four and two hundred and thirty pounds. When he runs, he just lowers his shoulder and runs over. He's not sliding and getting down and getting out of bounds. He's a big dude that doesn't mind colliding with people. So you should be able to find him, but you got to bring him down. And he's he's been really solid. He's a good decision maker. Yeah. Um, you know, he like if you look at his efficiency, um, you know, eighteen touchdowns, five interceptions, two thousand four hundred and thirty-five yards. 
Um, he, he's really been very, very solid. And he's a senior. He's been around. So a lot more experienced than what we saw at Arkansas or at Liberty in terms of quarterback. Big guy. He's not running away from people with blazing speed. He's just a big guy that's not afraid of contact and not afraid to run the ball and smart. You know who else uh, ran around and wasn't afraid to uh, get hit? Uh, although he wasn't as big as this guy, is our first guest tonight. Yes. Our pleasure to welcome back a man who played quarterback at BYU, coached at BYU with the quarterbacks, and called the plays as offensive coordinator at BYU. That's as BYU as a guy can get, and certainly qualifies him for a, a uh, return appearance here on The Wise Guys. The great Brandon Doman is here with us. Brandon. You do not need to dress up for us tonight, but we understand that you've got Brandon, some church you, business you, later this evening. Are you back as the I'm state, are you, what, are I, the state this, president I'm again? A little, I'm a little embarrassed by it because I was thinking maybe I can get out of this shirt and tie <laughs> fast enough, but I, I, just could get, I couldn't get there fast enough. We but, thought you yeah, coming on sorry. our show last time would get you out of this calling, but yeah. I see that you're, you're still the stake president. I'm sure if I do this a couple more times, I'll get released for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, we're just talking about this big quarterback uh, for East Carolina who likes to run around, does the, the run-pass option, which you, I thought you were spectacular at when you were the starter at BYU. How tough is it for a defense when you've just got enough shiftiness to you to, to keep them guessing? That's so hard. When you insert an 11th player into all aspects of the offense where he can be a runner – uh, it's changed college football. It's changed football as we know it. The NFL and college football have changed with the the ability for a quarterback to be able to pass and, and run and, and participate in, in all aspects of that game. It, ha- it requires the change up on defense, and in many cases, if the quarterback's good enough, now you now you're having to insert the eighth man, which is the strong safety, in, into the into the package um, for run stop defense. It sure makes it easier to throw it. And, th- and this guy, he, he reminds me, Brandon, of Arkansas's guy. He's a big dude. He's like 6'3", 230, and he's not blazingly yeah. fast. But he turns it up. Safeties come up, and he just runs over the top of them. He's, he's, he's <laughs> just not a, I'm like, wow, this is like a big old guy back there playing. He's a senior and, take, and takes care of the ball. That's kind of a special challenge, too, and the quarterback's a big guy. We saw against Arkansas – at times, BYU got pass rush there. One play we're thinking of in particular on third and 11. And, and they come after him, and he just bounces off and gets outside and makes a, a spectacular play. How do you tackle a guy that big and make sure that you bring him down on the pass rush um, and not let him bounce out and make big plays after contact? Well, tackling fundamentals, I think it's really, really tough. Those guys are hard to bring down, period. I mean, look at look at uh, Allen with um, Buffalo. Buffalo Bills. I mean, it's, they're just hard to tackle because they use their hands well. Their their legs are big, but you know, you're you're having to just have good fundamentals, which re- requires you to tackle low. I mean, most guys, um, and and you and tackling low doesn't mean tackling the ankles. You know, you're having to tackle kick tackle the near hip and and do a good job of, of wrapping up. And BYU struggled with that lately. There's a lot of ankle tackles and a lot of high tackles, and it's just fundamentals have broken down. But but that takes time and effort, and you you watch. Uh, the very best football teams in, in the country at, at any level, the focus on fundamentals in both blocking and tackling, they're the best in the world at it. And, and I've heard coach Sataki talk about it, that, you know, and he's put a lot of the, a lot of the onus on themselves that, that the coaching staff needs to do a better job of just focusing on some of those fundamental basics and tackling is at the core of the success of a defense. On the offensive side, uh, 
And, and, and we were just talking a moment ago, you're the perfect guy to have on tonight because when you've played quarterback with a healthy shoulder and with a, a healthy a shoulder that was banged up and yet you still had to play. Before we get to that one, on, on play calling, because um, you called the plays as well, when things are in a funk, to quote uh, the head coach, um, how hard is it to call a game to just try and take the pressure off of everybody and uh, – I. I, it, it has to be so much more difficult than all the fans think. It's really hard. You know, I sometimes I think we make it harder than and it probably is. I mean, I'm, what, 10 years removed from doing it. I'd probably be a lot better today doing it than I was 10 years ago just because I realized that I, I just created more pressure than needed. Um, and um, I, I would say that for any play caller, in those situations, you're gonna you have to lean on your very best players and make sure that you simplify it, but get those guys the ball. And sometimes it just means the quarterback needs to you just need to simplify down, let him do something that he knows how to do really well, or shakes off some of the cobwebs that he's dealing with. Um, but we also sometimes squeeze and we get conservative. And uh, I, I just uh, you know for myself, I look back at it. There's there's I think I just squoze too hard and, and, and we don't need to squeeze so hard. There's players out there that can make plays. BYU has offensive players that can make plays. So let them make plays and they'll make those plays. It's, it's interesting, Brandon. Um, multiple coaches have this philosophy, but I had a conversation with Andy Reid one time and, and we, we got talking about play calling in critical situations. And he just said, oh, I never think about plays. I think about players. Like, yeah. When so it's down there, and it's like, hey, it's fourth and six, and they've got to get a first down to go down and get the game win- winner to go to the Super Bowl, and he's not even thinking about what's the play best play here. The first thing Andy thinks about is what player needs to have the ball in his hands right now, and then once he makes that decision, then he goes, okay, what are the best three plays we have to get that guy the ball, and then they choose the best play, and that's how they go about it. What's what's your thought on that process? It's it's why he's the best. It's why he's the absolute best because understanding um, your very best players, the, the the demand to make sure that your very best players are are getting access to the football in the most critical situations and third down is the time, red zone is the time, scoring situations and and the appropriate times to take shots to those guys. And like I said, BYU's got plenty of guys to make plays, but you got to be smart about when you give them the touches and. That's a really unique challenge as a play caller, but it's not rocket science. And, and that's why Andy Reid's so good at it. He's, he's making sure that the right guys are in on the field at the right time and that he's targeting them. How hard is it? And you've been a play caller when you've gone through a bunch of injuries. I, and I don't know what the deal is. We were talking about this earlier, earlier today. And I've actually taken a harder look at it than most. BYU seems to have more injuries than any team I know. At, at key positions. And I don't know if it's because missionaries go out for two years and, 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 and come back. And maybe it's the, I've talked to a bunch of orthopedic surgeons and you know what my other job is. It's in, in orthopedic surgery. Right. And, and, uh, and, and they, several of them have said, you know, perhaps muscle comes back way faster when you come back off of your mission than tendons and ligaments. They take a long, long time to thicken up and kind of match the muscle strength. And these kids come back and, Hey, you can go do a bazillion curls in like two months. Your your biceps look like Popeye the Sailor Man, but maybe those ligaments and tendons aren't matched up with that. And so I don't know. I can't. I think they that we need to commission a study to find out what's going on. But so now you're a play caller, 
and 100% healthy, you haven't had Gunnar Romney and Puka Nakua on the field yet this year, uh, but where they both are 100%. Now we find out that Cody Epps is probably out for an extended period of time. Chris Brooks. Chris Brooks is not going to play this weekend. Chris Brooks missed two games ago, came back last game. Miles Davis played the two previous games. He was out last week. He might be back this week. Um, Lopini Katoa missed two games at running back. Um, And then, um, who am I missing? Oh, uh, the big wide receiver that came and had a great game when Puka was out. Oh, Chase Roberts. Yeah, Chase Roberts comes and has a breakout game, and then he misses the next two games with the hip flexor. And he came back last week, but probably wasn't 100%. And he's probably back this week 100%. That's just a lot. I just mentioned on offense, and BYU on defense is playing with their two starting inside tackles gone, haven't played for three games. Um, they may be missing three or their four linebackers this week, three of their four best linebackers this week, and they haven't had their free safety since game two. So now go win. Yeah, so, so now how do you call plays with all of that going, going, going on? It's hard. It's hard to find continuity between. So you, you, Andy Reid says, I'm, I'm thinking about the players, which players should get the ball in these circumstances, and then I, I try and dial down to the very best play I can find out, you know, I can find. And if you don't have any continuity, you don't know who to even get the ball to. Um, and I've been in that situation where your very best guys are out or your quarterback's just not playing with very much confidence or you can't block anybody, um, man, it sure puts you in a funk as a play caller. No doubt about it. So it is hard. And, and you know, the first thing we want to do is, is uh, you know, lynch, the, lynch the, the coaches. And it's a really hard thing. It's, that's why I don't, not very many people are doing it. It's hard to do. What, what can you do to get a quarterback that's and, – and we recognize Jaron's been struggling with the shoulder. You can tell. Right, um, and he's been a little tentative, maybe because of that, trying to protect a little bit. We've seen him miss a few throws that he never missed for the last year in the first three games. How, how do you get him back performing at a high, high level um, with with maybe him being a little bit tentative this last week? I, I've always believed that these guys need to find simple successes throughout the week. That, that regenerates that confidence for them. Um, I don't know that that injury is going to go away the rest of the season. Mine didn't. And once I got that injury, it was, it plagued me the rest of my senior year. And I happened the third, third game of the season. Um, and so you have to learn how to play with it. You have to learn how to deal with what it is. And, and they didn't want me to practice. And I just said, no way am I not going to practice. I got, I have to come out on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I need to throw the football around. I need to learn how to deal with this so that I can play confidently and, so I'm hopeful that they're letting him practice and they're making him make all the throws. And I just said, look, if I have to throw a 20-yard comeback uh, on Saturday, I want to throw it on Tuesday. And I know my shoulder's hurting me, but but tape it down and I, I need to go out there and make it happen. And, and it generated enough confidence for me when I showed up on Saturday, I was able to do that. Um, and so simple successes throughout the week. And, and I think when things are really hard, you have to simulate as many of those tough situations you can in practice so that they can get through what's creating those hard things. And if we're having a hard time converting on third down, then man, let's spend some time this week putting our guys in as many third down situations as we can. And even if you have to go ones on ones, you know, our, our best O against our best D and, and reassimilate that because uh, we couldn't convert very well and on both sides, we couldn't stop them. And so one thing that BYU should be focused on is third downs of practice this week. And sometimes we as coaches make the mistake of, of focusing on, you know, base plays, first and second down stuff and early in the week. And then we get to third down on midweek Thursdays where we're focusing on that. And that's a huge mistake. They, 
They should probably start with that and stay with that all week and then insert their base concepts as they go throughout the week. I think for, for Jaron, um, being able to assimilate that in practice and generate some confidence physically and mentally and then see the guys that are making the plays, um, you know, I, I think can refocus that. The beauty for BYU right now is that they do have their starting quarterback. I appreciate that he's banged up, but so is everybody else. I mean, every quarterback yeah. that's starting college football right now in big-time football is hurting. So, you know, sometimes you just have to knuckle up and, and work through it. And and in this case, they got their starting quarterback. So Jaron's going to have to buckle down, and and he can't afford to not be great. He has to be great. As goes the quarterback, so goes the team. And and if he's not, you know, healthy enough to play and, and, and help him win, then, then maybe the next guy needs to come on. But he looks like he's physically good enough to go make it happen. And those are hard decisions to make as a quarterback and as a staff to make sure – that the quarterback can do it, but Jaron looks plenty healthy enough. He just, you know, hopefully now can generate enough momentum with the players he's got through the week to get there on Saturday and do it. Former BYU quarterback Brandon Doman on the Wise Guys tonight. So you separated your shoulder down in Vegas. You're ranked 20th in the country. You're going to win your first 12 games of the season. So you managed to win like nine more games with a separated shoulder, which is phenomenal. But as we watch Hall, and we saw him overthrow targets and, and, uh, and struggle with the deep ball, especially against Liberty, um, how hard is it? Does it hurt to throw a long ball? And, and his injury probably isn't terribly different than the one you had. Um, you managed through it, and, of course, you had all the tools around you, and he's got tools around him. Did it hurt to throw the deep ball, and did, did, that, did you steer away from that because of it, or, or what? How did you manage how did you manage a shoulder issue and win all those games? You know, I, I look back at that experience and uh, it hurts so bad. And I had Dr. Kimball and he's still around, uh, but I had George Curtis at the time and I spent every waking minute <laughs> with George Curtis. I, I woke up Sunday morning after I first hurt that shoulder and you know, I was in tears and George is looking at me like, Brandon, I know you've spent, three years trying to get on the field and I don't know if you can do it. I said, that's not an option. He said, okay, grab this paddle. I gave me a paddle that I tied to my hand, my right hand. And he said, we're going to take you over to the swimming pool and we're going to swim. And I had a separated shoulder and I just started swimming and I started doing all sorts of rotational stuff. I put tobacco leaves on my shoulder and you asked my (laughs) wife, newlyweds, I was wearing tobacco leaves at night, trying to get swelling to go down. I did everything I could possibly think of because I was just no way in the world not going to participate. It just wasn't going to happen. And to, to the credit of all those people that helped, like I, and, and mainly George, Dr. Kimball was a huge part of that. They came up with a way to tape my shoulder that I think was new and innovative. They found a way to strap my collarbone down a little bit. And that really helped if they could secure the collarbone and, allow me to be able to do what I needed to do. And, you know, and then, you know, I tried, we tried everything we could think of to numb the pain, to slow the pain down. And, and then I didn't think a thing about it in the game. We just, whether it was a deep ball or not, you did the best you could. And I, you know, we didn't, we didn't modify the game plan at all. So I, I don't, Max Hall, I watched him go through. I watched John Beck go through it. Um, and you just got to go play. And, and I've seen great quarterbacks separate their shoulder and just knuckle down and make it happen. And, and I think Jaron can do it too. Didn't you later in that same season, didn't you crack some ribs later on the season too? 
Is that in the Hawaii <laughs> game? Because I, I remember you had the shoulder thing. Because we were covering you when you were playing. Like that's how old oh, Dave yeah. and I are. And and I remember thinking, wait a minute, the shoulder's not enough. Why don't we have crack ribs too and have them have to play with that? That was against Hawaii, wasn't it? When you cracked the ribs, I, d- I I was diving into the end zone and their free safety hit me in the ribs, my left side of my body, and oh man, that was that was probably the most pain I've been in. And it, I remember getting on the plane and flying home, and I just couldn't. I could not relieve the pain. It was terrible. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. Like I we're, like I said, every quarterback that plays, and if they play hard, and they're laying it out there, Blaine, you know, I mean, oh, you're going to yeah. get hurt. So, so going to get hurt. Then I'm going to ask you a question we asked you the last time. Like, so we just described, described what you had to go through to get back on the field with the shoulder and the most some of the most excruciating pain you've ever had with the ribs. Is it all worth it? Oh, man, are you kidding me? <laughs> I wish every. I mean, I know that I answer, but I want you to say it. <laughs> oh man, uh, how do you, how do you duplicate that for a human? I just such a remarkable experience. You know, I, there's there's so many other. There are ways to duplicate those kinds of challenging things, but stretching yourself to the limit physically and emotionally and, and mentally. But the, the beauty was for my for me, and I think as I've watched guys like Max Hall and John and some of these guys go through this. It was more about the team than anything. I, I wanted to play so bad, but I didn't want to let my guys down. And um, that the whole combination of that, of that um, dealing with the adversity, and just having to have enough grit. I, I believe that grit is um, greatness requires individual toughness, and if you can have a gritty persona and a gritty team, uh, gosh, it can overcome so many other issues that you're dealing with. And and um, we just created, when I was playing, we just created a gritty, I looked around that locker room prior to games and every good player we had from John, from Ryan Denny to Brett Kiesel to Luke Staley, uh, I mean, our tight end, Doug Jolly, every one of them was significantly injured and we just gritted through it, man. I mean, uh, Reno Mahi was having appendix issues and broken toe issues before the season and you just... You got to figure it out. And, and, and I don't know today. I mean, we, we do have a lot of guys missing games. And I, who, who am I to say that maybe they're not gritty enough? I'm, I'm not going to suggest that, but well, we, look, didn't miss, you, we didn't miss practices. We didn't miss games. You ran, the, you, uh, you ran the option, which is always the option of the quarterback getting decked with a separated shoulder. So that's next level stuff. But you were smart, too. You got the ball out quick to, to Staley. You got the ball out quick to Mahe, quick to Regal and those guys. Going into Friday night, how important is Puka Nakua for Jaron Hall if he's not 100% healthy, which he's probably not going to be the rest of the season? We don't know. But but how, how about the, the guys around Hall? And starting with Puka, how important is Puka for Friday night? The, the year – I'm going to go – I'm going to reference Austin Cauley. Um, we, we threw him – I can't remember. He broke the record. They knew we were going to throw it to him. We threw it to him anyways, and he made the plays. (laughs) And and I think we targeted him no less than 12 to 15 times a game, period. And um, they need to do the same same thing with Puka. They know it's coming. Targeting him anyways. Uh, The Miami Dolphins, they know they're going to throw it to their Tyreek Hill. They know it's coming out, but throw it to him anyways. It's the same thing with what Andy's saying, right? I'm going to give the ball to Kelsey. I don't care if you know we're throwing it to him. He's going to get no less than 10 touches in this game. And if he can get more, we're going to give him more. And I would say the same thing with Puka. And it will only open up other guys. <clears throat> it's not going to 
It's not going to deflate the opportunities. It's only going to open up other opportunities for other guys. You know, the Cody Epps has been a guy that's been to me as a freshman, really, really impressive. And I know you've watched him, Brandon. Now we're hearing he's probably not going to play because he got banged up pretty. He got pretty well. nailed at the end. Uh, of but that but game. I'm interested in your thoughts on him as a playmaker, as just a freshman. What a fun player to have on the team. I didn't know anything about Cody. My goodness, he's fast. He's quick. He seems like he's tougher nails. I love everything I've seen about him. So it's you know, unfortunate if he's not participating, you know, playing. But um, he's he's a very good player, and I think he's going to be a, a great player in time. He, he's a really interesting guy. I think he's the model for who BYU should be recruiting right now. We've had a lot of exposure to him in recent weeks. and. And as Brian Logan would say, he's a double minority. He's not LDS. He's African American. So, so he and he just embraces it. He loves it. He's a he's an active Christian kid that embraces the honor code and loves being at BYU. And and so now you put on top of that how how much he performs and what he brings to the field. Man, he's he's the perfect model for what what BYU ought to be bringing in here, don't you think? Yeah, BYU's got a unique challenge. They're going to have to be extra good at recruiting. It's going to have to take extra time. <clears throat> and, you know, there's going to be guys that, that you know, teams passed over Cody Epps and they gave BYU a shot at him. Um, how do you find those guys that fit appropriately and have enough talent? And that was a great get. It, um, Cody was great. It was a great addition to the team. East Carolina's Friday night at the stadium. Did you play any Friday night games? Remember? Oh, yeah. And what did they do to the week of preparation by having a Friday night game? It, did it change dramatically? It changes your Wednesday practice. You know, Monday and Tuesday are pretty much the same, but your Wednesday becomes a Thursday. So you do have to shorten down the prep portion of that. You know, Thursday is usually what we would call kind of perfect Thursdays where you, it was a, it was a half, you know, kind of a half padded practice. It was a, it was a tapered back length, um, you know, 48 hours before the game. So uh, Wednesday has to be a dialed in practice. And so the game plan has to shrink a little bit. Um, and you have to, you have to be really smart about how you manage, you know, Mondays is a little bit of a different Monday. I, I, and, and it, you know, some coaches never changed Monday because they just needed Monday to get the legs back. Yeah. Um, but you know, what can we get done on, what can we do get done on Monday to prep us for Tuesday, but Tuesday is your work day. And uh, today's the day. They, they had to get to work in today and then clean it up tomorrow. Is there an advantage, like on a short week, to be home? BYU's home. East Carolina's got to come two time zones from, from North Carolina and play on a Friday night game. W would you say that's a decided advantage for the home team? Without question. There's so much that they can do in the film room. that They, they can get an extra walkthrough in. Um, you know, I, I think between Thursday afternoon – <clears throat> and Friday at noon, um, and even Friday at two o'clock, you, you could get a lot done if if you felt like you needed it. And <clears throat> the traveling team doesn't have the ability to do that. They're going to be on a plane for four hours to, which will eliminate some of that opportunity for them. Brandon Doman, former quarterback, former quarterbacks coach, former offensive coordinator, on the Wise Guys tonight. Uh, always good guy. There's no former to the to the good guy. And has been a good guy the, the whole time. I bet he could still is, play too, which is awesome. Like yeah. he's a former yeah. quarterback, but I think he could still play. Could you still let's? Could you come in and, and run the option if you had uh, let's see if you had Miles Davis behind you and you had Puka to throw to and that big offensive line? How many plays do you think he could do? Just give me one quarter. That's it, and then, and then I'd have to probably go to the hospital <laughs> at that point. But, but one quarter—that's that a couple of scoring drives. Here, here's the I'd thing: I like that, that one, 
One quarter. The old it. quarterbacks always like my boys, Brandon, are always like, Dad, do you want to come play in the turkey bowl thing? And I'm like, yeah, if I can be all-time quarterback and there's no rushing. Like, can, if right. I can stand back here and just throw right. I'll stand back here and throw it all day, but I am not running around because both hamstrings, I won't just pull them. They'll fall off the yeah. back of my legs. Yeah, and then I, now that affects our job, so you gotta, you got to be careful. Yeah, but I, don't, I don't do that. Hey, what's the – it's going to be chilly Friday night. What's the coldest game you ever played in? Oh, man. When it's wet, trying to think back at some of the coldest games I, I played in um, – you don't have a Laramie story or a Logan well, story? I was, I, I was going to say it had to have been Laramie. had to have been Laramie my senior year. It was brutal. I remember going to bed up there in the hotel room. We, in the hotel, I'm not even sure. Is it the truck it stop was. hotel? Was that the, the, it the was truck, the truck stop? stop? Outside doors. Snow, outside oh, yeah. doors. I've been there. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> and the snow's coming through the bottom of the door, and it's just coming <laughs> in the room, and you're like, are you kidding me? How in the world are we possibly going to play up here? And just, Everything's blowing sideways, but. That that was those were some of the most, you know, some of my fondest memories of of the hard things that we went through, and Laramie's absolutely one of them for sure. The the win you had up at the U and on Lavelle's final night that wasn't a warm night either, was it? It was late November. That was cold, and Utah had put some turf in that year that didn't work, didn't take. Oh, that's and so right. The whole year their grass was coming out, and by the time we played that last game, we might have been playing on the local dirt field at the park i mean it was terrible <laughs> it's like the sandlot uh, it was not good <laughs> it was so bad it was just a big sandy mess out there and uh it was freezing so it was a kind of a double whammy is it a myth that uh oh the players are warm because they're out there running around while the rest of us are freezing or is just everyone freezing including the quarterback you know <laughs> They're warm. Once you're on the grass and you're playing and you're running into guys and, and playing football, you don't you don't recognize the cold unless it's wet. And you know those guys that are playing December games, like when we played in Memphis for a bowl game, yeah. it was so humid. That type of cold is brutal because it goes right through you. Right. The cold in Utah is not bad. Um, I, I never really was that concerned about how cold it was unless it got wet and it was windy, but. Did, that doesn't happen very often. Did you ever do the thing like this is way after my time, but um, like Gavin was telling me, oh yeah, the guys put they put something they don't wear sleeves, but they put something on their arms that's like, like icy hot stuff, and then they put something else that's like Vaseline on the top of it, and so it just looks like like they're bare armed, but they got a couple of coats of warmth on their arms. I'm like, really? They do that? He goes, yeah, there's something they do. You didn't do that stuff, right? No, no, I just give me a long sleeve shirt. You're go good play. to go, I right? Didn't. Yeah, I didn't need anything more than that. <laughs> How about Luke Staley? Did he need something extra to stay warm? Was he as tough as was he as tough as you? We know Reno needed blankets and oh, yeah. foot warmers and Yeah, this. Reno was Reno was was a little soft for sure. <laughs> no, I I don't think Luke ever wore anything under his pads other than his uniform and his pants. I mean, he he was he was so ripped and so put together that he was like, Don't don't bother me with any of those shirts. Nothing to slow him down. Yeah, when, when when these guys were playing, they were down playing San Diego State, and Ted Ted Tolner was the head coach down. You remember that? And Ted oh, yeah. and I were standing in the end zone talking, and you guys were warming up, and Luke came by, and Ted goes, "I've I've never seen anything like that." And I go, "Like what?" He goes, "You, you look at that kid's calves right there." I go, "Oh, Luke Staley's calves." He goes, yeah. he goes I've, "I've never seen anything like that." I know. <laughs> it was crazy. He was a he was a piece of of, of just a specimen, wasn't he? 
Yeah, I've never. I even in the NFL, I didn't see. I didn't see a running back like that. It's too bad he couldn't stay healthy because he was such a unique talent. So so rare and unusual. Was there ever was there ever a bigger bummer than you're at Mississippi State, you win the game to get to twelve and zero, but in that process you lose him to a yeah. broken ankle and and you look over and you know he's out and he's out for good, um, and you got to still yep. carry the load. What was that like? That guy laid it on the line. Yeah. I look back at that season and and what he was willing to do for the team. I just am so I was so grateful for him. Love that guy. Yeah. Um, forever will love him. He just he, he gave it his very best until the very last moment, and uh, it impacted his you know it's impacted his life. But I was just so grateful for him. Um, and it was hard. It was hard to lose him. I think had he had he stayed healthy, he was the Dope Walker Award winner. We were twelve and zero at that moment. Number um, four or five, right? It was number six. I, I think like the Fiesta Bowl takes us. I think with yeah. Luke healthy as the Dope Walker Award winner, I think they take us for the game. But the fact that he was injured, I think gave him. Gave him some ammunition to not take us, but they—I I, don't—I don't think they'd snub us. I think they would have taken us to the Fiesta Bowl, and and if he was healthy, going into that last little stretch and had the opportunity of the Fiesta Bowl in front of us, it could have been a really, really special finish. Yeah, as a special team, regardless of the finish. But um, yeah, what what a great season! You know, it, it's interesting. BYU's coming off a phenomenal run the last couple of years: ten and three, eleven and one. Um, they they've beaten more P5 teams in the last two years than any of us played in our whole career when, when we played, yeah. right, over our four- or five-year career. And, uh, and so they're on a really good run. And now they, now they have this little lull here where they lose three games, and, and fans are out of their minds. Like, you can't believe the stuff that gets DM'd to us on Twitter. And, like, I'm just like, are you serious right now? I, like, they, 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 they want everybody fired. They, uh, you know, the players... They don't have any heart, and there's no discipline, and there's all this. I'm like, these are the same guys that, after they beat Baylor, were ranked number 12 in the country right. and everybody loved. And so how, how does this team proceed? Because there's a lot of noise out there. And, and you've been part of teams. Expectations have always been high here. And you, know, you talk about that 12-win that start. You know, the, the previous season, you guys had a struggle for part of the year and had to really grind, you know, to, to get back to 500 that year. What, what advice would you give to this group to grind and get out of this? You know, I, I think it starts with a win Friday night, but, but, but what do they have to do to turn it around and block all of that out? Well, the, the players have to really rise to the occasion. Those guys in the locker room, the leaders in the locker room, and I think college football, it's getting more, it's more challenging today than ever before to create unity, continuity, leadership, um, the NIL stuff, the transfer portal stuff. Uh, it's just hard to hard to get a group of guys to really rally. But if the players have enough leadership and, and uh, continuity in there to be able to pull together, they can do a lot. The players can can have a major impact on this, and they the, their ability to go out now and and blind you know drown out the the noise and go play. Uh, as for coaches, it's, it's tough. You can see the coaches are squeezing right now. I, my heart goes out to them. I, you can just see it. You can hear it in their voices. You can see it in their demeanor. And I've been there. And the, the fact that the fans are unhappy and the expectations are so high. And here we are prepping to go to the Big 12. I mean, we might, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it might get harder before it gets better. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I just, 
I just hate, I hate that that might be a reality here, but uh, there's just a lot of squeezing going on. And if the players, if the players start going South, it's over. And if the players aren't jumping on board um, and they're not rallying and they start pointing fingers that are going home to the house and, and talking to mom and dad and everybody, now everybody's pointing fingers. This could get, this could get ugly fast. And um, I hate, I hate that, but um, there's a high likelihood that it get harder, it could get harder before it gets better. And so it'll be interesting to see how the players respond, how the coaches respond to this and, my, you know, my, like I said, my hat, my hat's off to him because it's hard, and my heart goes out to him because I, I know that they're in a tough spot. Well, nobody uh, had to overcome what you guys had to overcome. You had to win the last two games so Lavelle didn't go out on, yes. with a losing season. There's no greater <laughs> pressure than beating New Mexico, and not a, let alone President Hinckley's at the game. Uh, and and remind you not to go Muffet uh, out there on the field. <laughs> but we talk about pressure. How about those two games? That's pressure. Yeah, so so fun. I just just so fun. The memories are so so awesome. And and what a what an unbelievable. I hope those players recognize the unbelievable opportunity they have. There's there's so many so many great universities out there, but for 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 what BYU is and for what they're getting to do, it's just unmatched. It's unmatched in, in the uniqueness of what it is. And our fans are phenomenal. They're yeah. loyal. Um, they are, they do have high expectations, but, but, but they, they, you know, I don't blame them for wanting us to be successful and it's a unique place. And I hope they take advantage of every minute they have, because <laughs> before you know it, the light in the room shining down on your bald head. And, <laughs> yeah. You can adjust those lights. And, to, <laughs> take it from us. You just, life's different. The one good thing yeah. we're, we're hearing, you, you talk about leadership, Brandon, and how important it is that the players step up. And, you know, we all know it's really important that the good players step up. Like, guys that are really good on the field, like, it's the best if those are the guys that no step up. And we we heard some news coming out this week. First of all, Puka's been right out there with the media and with the team saying, hey, I looked at everything that I can do, and I'm challenging everybody on this offense to look at what they individually can do, and we're going to be better this Friday, and we're going to hold each other accountable. I'm going to hold myself accountable. I'm going to hold my entire team accountable. He could say that because he's their best player on offense, right? He gets away with that. And we also heard that Tyler Batty had a similar discussion with the defense earlier this week. And Tyler's a star that's, you know, a big talent at defensive end. Those two things feel to me like that's the start of what you want to see from this team, right? Otherwise, it won't happen. If the players don't – if the leaders and the – the very best players don't choose to put this on their back, on their shoulders, and make it happen. Um, it's near impossible as a play caller to fix it. I mean, you, you're going to try and call some new plays, but somebody's still got to throw it. Someone's still got to catch it, you know, uh, and 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 execute what you're trying to get done. And if the players choose to make it happen, then your chances are, you know, 15 times better. I like that 15 times. Yes, I do too. We know you have meetings coming up at 7, and we promised to get you off earlier than last time, which we will actually live up yep, to. we're going to do it Although right it's now. about a lot earlier. But give us three keys for a BYU win Friday night. And and next week, Blaine and I will revisit those keys. Yeah, we're going to revisit the keys. <laughs> and, and we'll yeah. talk, we'll talk and we, about and you and behind have, your back. We don't have so. to do five questions with you because we've done that before, done and that. we know your answers. Um, yeah. Three keys. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think my answers are going to change. I, even said, I think I said this word for word last night last time but i really believe in this that 
the third down conversions are going to be critical, both on both sides of the ball. And first downs equal touchdowns, period. And if they're have the expectation that touchdowns are going to come some other way, they're wrong. And Liberty proved that enough first downs equal plenty of touchdowns. Yeah. And BYU is going to have to stop third downs, and they're going to have to convert on third downs. And those first downs will ultimately, ultimately, ultimately be touchdowns. And then you know, when you get in, and you get in striking distance, you have got to score. And striking distance is crossing the fifty. You cross the fifty-yard line. And, and you've gotten a, ch- a chance now to, to march in there. You have got to go get points. And anytime, obviously, you're in the red zone, you, there's no way in a million – you just can't allow points to not come off the board. I mean, for you to not score points. So BYU's defense has got to – once that ball crosses the 50, they have got to stop them. They're, they're near, there needs to be something that takes place to keep those drives from going, and they couldn't do it against the last couple of weeks. So striking distance for the offense, they got to get they they got to get in the end zone. At BYU, once that opposing team is within striking distance, they're they're they've got to stop the third down conversion there and get off the field. Um, if those if those things can happen, you know, Kalani keeps saying you know blocking and tackling, those will be the fundamentals that will allow for it to happen. Um, but those are the those are the real data points that we should watch for is what's happening on third down and when they get in striking distance, are they scoring? One of my great memories of Brandon Doman is in Las Vegas. Uh, they're rallying to hold off the Rebels, who are finally playing good enough to beat BYU but still didn't. Uh, you throw to Regal, and on the very next play, you roll to your left, and then you turn back and roll to your right. Nobody's there, and you go like 25 yards. You get to the three-yard line, and you put both your hands up in the air. One of those has, <laughs> is attached to a separated shoulder. The place goes bananas. And you guys get out of Vegas with a win. And afterwards, as the media went to, to interview you, you weren't around because you were in the back receiving a priesthood blessing because that's when word got out that you actually played that game with a separated shoulder. That's, that's amazing stuff. Nice oh, job. It was such a, such a great time. President at the time, President Bateman, our president of the school, um, we went and grabbed my dad and brought my dad in and I, I, the last thing I want to do is get on an airplane and fly home knowing that my shoulder, my shoulder at that point was in bad shape. And uh, it was a grade three separation. And I just, I could feel it. I could feel it separated. And I just knew that <laughs> that was the end of it, but I wasn't willing to accept that. And I, I just figured I needed a priest's blessing and believed in that. And by dang, if, if uh, they didn't bless me to be able to play and it worked. So uh, I believe in that grateful for that. I got my white shirt, and my tie on. I'm a believer in that, and um, I appreciate you bringing it up. But those, those were maybe the most fond memories and those intimate moments with my teammates and family, and the sacred time. I'm grateful for it. Go easy on the kids tonight, all right? <laughs> yes. It's it's hard out there, and uh, and, and we, as in, in case you don't know, if you missed the last time, Brandon's the stake president of the YSA stake here in yeah. Utah Valley, and there's a, there's thousands of them, and. And tonight you get to give them some advice and help them through their problems. And uh, there's not a better man to do it than you right now. So we're proud hey, of I you. I appreciate you guys. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. We'll, we'll talk to you another time. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Brandon. We appreciate you, brother. See Brandon you Doman, outstanding quarterback at BYU, quarterback coach. Who gets to be all three? And offensive coordinator. Just think of the reservoir yeah. of stories oh, yeah. and experiences. And, and we really thought he was the perfect guy. And when we booked him to come back on the show – um, it was a couple of weeks ago, but the way things have evolved to where 
BYU's got a, a quarterback that's struggling with some health things while playing. Brandon Doman did that. Like, literally the same injury. Yeah. BYU's got an offense but, but, that's struggling add, to do that. Brandon ribs. Doman did that. And cracked ribs onto it, too. And cracked ribs. So not only did he have the separate <laughs> shoulder separation, he also had cracked ribs. And he faced a lot of pressure and won. Well, and, and, and BYU's got pressure on and, Friday. And it's interesting because, you know, he brought up Max and John, two of the greats that have ever played that position here. And he talked about their struggles with health and how banged up they were and how he, you know, how they had to manage through that. And so, yeah, absolutely, absolutely part of the part of the process. And, and yeah, college football is it's a big, fast, violent sport. And guys, you get to this point in the season, um, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. If you're injured, you can't play. Right. right. And, and you know, they, they rule you out and say, no, you're not cleared. If you're hurt. Well, everybody's hurt at this point. And you just go out and do the best you can, and you manage it. And that's that's what football is all about. Interesting. So we've heard from Coach Doman. Now let's hear from Coach Sataki. Here is Kalani's uh, thoughts as uh, game week on a short week uh, kicked off in Provo. This is from his news conference on Monday. Okay. Well, uh, new week. Obviously, um, coming to the uh, last third of the season. Like excited about the matchup. Excited about being home. Um, short week, so we're playing the game on Friday. Um, so... Uh, got to spend some time on corrections, but got to get moving on our opponent with East Carolina coming into town. Really good team, well-coached team, and um, a lot of good athletes. They can do a lot of things on offense, defensively. They're, uh, you know, they, they're, they're tough up front, and so um, and they're, they're, they're a really good team all over. And so uh, all three phases do a great job. Um, you know, they had, I think, beginning of the year, they had a chance to beat NC State, and uh, probably should have had it. They had a field goal to win it. So this is a really good team. Just uh, I think it comes at a good time for us right now. So they have our attention. We don't really have time to, to feel sorry for ourselves. Got to get, get rolling and working hard and, and uh, show that we can uh, get back to our identity of who we are. So take any questions you guys have. All right, that's Kalani setting the tone for the week. And uh, Blaine's coming back to this head. You went and got yourself a Diet Coke, but you did not bring me a drink. Do you want a Diet Coke or Diet yeah, Dr. Pepper? I'll go grab, I'll grab I know a water you or something. I'll DJ, you could you get me a water? DJ will get you one. I'm glad someone, I, I someone's not asked. thinking about just number one around here. If you're, uh, if you're the Cougars. Better, I need to be a better teammate. <laughs> I really do. We just listened to Kalani. He was talking about how he was happy the game is Friday and that they can get right back in it. Some people like to have a bye week, and, and I, I would think that it's better to play on Friday than, than uh, wait it out. This, this team needs a feel-good and they need to feel good quick. And there's a couple of things that, first of all, you, when you haven't played well, you immediately want to get back on the field and rectify that and play well. Um, even though coaches sometimes know that there's got to be some practice and some corrections made, you want the players want to get back out and play. And the other thing is that he he's so happy to be back home. Yeah. Recognizing that that home crowd, especially that student section, um. The, the ability to have that student section affect the outcome of the game, to play at elevation, to play at night, all of those things are to their advantage. So I think, I mean, you can tell in his tone, like, very excited to get back on the field, excited that it's a Friday night game in Provo. Um, and, you, you know, also get the sense, as we've seen Kalani this, this week, um, without really coming right out and saying it, they're saying the same things Brandon Doman said that like, hey, listen, we need to coach these guys up. We're taking responsibility, yeah. but we also need we need our guys to step up and take a leadership role. Like so, they're publicly and privately, you know, supporting what 
what Puka Nakua is doing and supporting what Tyler Batty's doing, supporting these guys and taking the leadership role, holding each other accountable. The coaches are going to hold them accountable, but unless the players also hold themselves accountable, um, it's it's not it's not as easy as it looks. Thanks, DJ. You're my new best friend. I, hey, I, Blaine and I cheers. have been friends. This, this supplanted Blaine for about ten minutes. I don't know what this Diet Coke is, but uh, but this is this is awesome. Wait, you don't drink Diet Coke? No, I just drink the regular stuff. This, you know, oh, what, as right. a friend, Dave, Dave, I forgot, DJ Dave. As a friend, I'm just going to have this here for you when he, you're thirsty. Dave doesn't drink Diet Coke, and you don't drink Diet Dr Pepper either. You drink regular no, Dr Pepper. I just do it straight. Regular I take Coke. it on the rocks. There you go. Wow, what do you had a Seven Eleven back there, DJ? Thank you. Now yeah. that's now that's that's something. Now Boise State's next, right? And uh, the start time for that hasn't been announced yet. We're going to find out on Sunday. Fox has got that game, which means it can go on Fox or FS1. Right. Um, we think in FS1, Boise's five and two. Uh, if BYU can win on Friday, they would be five and three. Um, yeah, they could they, put that well, game they, anywhere. They just they just beat Air Force in Colorado Springs, nineteen to fourteen. So a low scoring game. Boise's been pretty solid on defense this year. They've won three straight games. And so it, it's kind of like East Carolina comes in here after that Central Florida win, and they're kind of on a roll. They're, they're feeling pretty good about where they sit and the talent they have, and they've kind of found themselves. And I think Boise State, as you mentioned, if they can get a win this weekend, they're going to they're gonna come into that game at their place feeling pretty good about, yeah. about where they are. So. And if BYU wins, they'll be 5-4. and four. Sorry, I said 5-3. and three. Yeah, there, There's no easy ones left. Uh, well, Utah Tech. Utah Tech. Is on, it? on the 19th on BYU TV. Did you see what Stanford tried to do yesterday? Yeah, So I Stanford saw that. has BYU on Thanksgiving weekend. They announced this plan for free tickets. You can get free tickets to the BYU game if you pledge to buy season tickets next year. They kind of like come test drive some seats. Right, right. But they said there's no penalty for you to cancel on next year's seats if you do it by January 1. So you know what that is? That's free tickets. That's like free pizza. And you can buy some pizza next year, or you don't have to. But uh, BYU then, fans are not stupid. At the end of the day, that promotion was taken down. We're, we're not quite sure why, but we're BYU's thinking. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm thinking about season tickets next year, but but, <laughs> but maybe not. But I should go to that BYU Stanford game for free. I'm thinking about ten season tickets yeah. next year. Yep, that's uh, what I was thinking. If BYU gets their act together. Uh, they will take over that Stanford Stadium. They're, the tickets right now, uh, from what I heard, are starting at sixteen bucks. Uh, for that Stanford BYU game, Stanford can't draw a crowd if they gave out money, uh, let alone free tickets. And uh, and BYU is going to pack that place, even if they're not playing great. They're going to pack that place. Yeah. But uh, if they can get one or two, be bowl eligible, heading to uh, to the farm on Thanksgiving weekend, it will be fun to see a blue takeover. And that's it's a fun stadium. We you, you know we've watched some games there when our son-in-law Dallas was playing at Stanford. It's a beautiful facility, a great place to watch a football game. Um, unfortunately for for Stanford, when you walk through the tailgate there, you, you're outside and you're thinking, man, there's this place is going to be full today because there's a ton of people at this tailgate. And there's <laughs> students everywhere at the tailgate. And then what happens is you walk into the stadium and you go and you sit down and most of those people never make it from the tailgate in. They go back to they the library. Distracted. They stay out at the tailgate. <laughs> and so there'll be, there'll be plenty of seats. BYU could actually um, have more fans in there than, than I, I think they will. I think they will. But, but they've got to they've give them some stuff to cheer about. 
And that starts on Friday night. Steve Cleveland's going to join us in a few minutes. So let's get through some more news and notes. Uh, the college football playoff committee met since we were last right. together. They've yet to figure out when the playoff to expand 12 to 12 teams will be. However, committee director Bill Hancock says it's possible that they can do it in time for the 24 season. So if they could get to 12 by 24, that's, that's after this season, after next season, and all of a sudden – the game changes for right. so many schools. I th- I, it, it's huge, and the fact that he said that it could by the 2024 season tells me it probably will by the 2024 season. They even threw that out there. He wouldn't throw that out there if he didn't think that That'd was going to happen. So. It's too much money, and, and, it, and it's such a good thing. Yeah. How about BYU Hoops? Mark Pope, he's going to roll out the annual blue and white game. Um, that's tomorrow night at the Marriott Center. You and I are going to be we'll, there. We'll be on um, the call. We're going to be on the call. It's 9 Eastern, 7 Mountain. It's on the BYU TV app, so you can stream it live. Hey, Mike. My smart TV at home, I can just stream it right on my TV. Yeah, and so real if you, convenient. If you got a new TV, you can stream BYU. If you're in a meeting TV somewhere, like, you can watch it on yeah, your watch phone. Watch it on your iPad. Watch it on your iPhone. Get the BYU TV app. It's free, and uh, and you can watch us tomorrow night. Um, that's seven o'clock Mountain Time on the app. BYU's exhibition uh, first exhibition game, and the only exhibition game. I shouldn't call it the first, but that's next Wednesday, November second. That's against Ottawa. Ottawa's a School out of Arizona. I would have never thought that. Yeah. Well, in fact, when we saw Ottawa's on the schedule, I thought we got Canadians coming. Yeah, out. you and I are calling that. That's on regular BYU TV over air on Dish Direct. That that whole deal. So regular BYU TV. The season opener is Monday, November seventh. That's against Idaho State. That one's also on BYU TV. You and I will be there uh, to call that one. Coverage starts at nine Eastern, seven Mountain. Um, there's a million. All right, there's not a million. There's a whole lot of new faces. Yeah. So put on the app tomorrow night. Yeah, and watch uh, this blue and, and just check it out. It's it's a totally different team than than what we saw last spring, uh, with the exception of a couple familiar faces. Gonna, Gideon George, you're gonna notice. You're gonna notice Foose and a Tiki, tiki Tiki. You'll see Stewart more than you've ever seen him before. Right. He's like, and they had big plans for him this year, anyhow. And Spencer Johnson has put 18 pounds of muscle on yeah. since last season. Yeah. Let's see. What, He's it, still going by the name of Spencer, but that's Trevin, a totally. Trevin's back, right? Am I, He's hurt. He's oh, hurt. Right. He's hurt. hurt for a while. Saw him in church on Sunday. But there's so many he new guys. He seemed healthy enough for church. Why can't he play? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. When he comes back, we need him to shoot threes. But yeah. Uh, anyway, it's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, we'll, we'll get you a roster if we can because you're going to need it. Um, but it'll be fun tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. It'll, I think this is a team that's going to be able to really shoot the basketball, and they're going to le- have to learn how to play small. Because there's not a lot of bigs out there, but I, th- I think we're going to see them play with a lot of pace, and maybe they can press a little bit more and do some things that small teams do. So, so Steve Cleveland's coming up uh, hey, here. Hey, Matt, Matt told us the Xbox has the app too. So if you have an Xbox on your TV, you can do the BYU TV app on the Xbox. That's fantastic. There you go. So. Women's hoops. The Cougars speaking of new looks with a new head coach right. and a handful of new players. They take on Westminster Thursday night. That one is on the BYU TV app at nine Eastern, seven Mountain, with Spencer Linton and Kristen Kozlowski. On the call, and so uh, we've had both coaches, both head coaches on the wise guys, and now we'll get to see them get back to work. Yep. And then how about women's volleyball? Number 17, BYU. So in the top 20, they host Gonzaga Thursday night at Smith Fieldhouse. What a great environment that is. BYU TV's coverage starts at 9 Eastern, 7 Mountain. Um, They host Portland on Saturday afternoon at 3 Eastern, 1 Mountain, also on BYU TV. And that, that's always Jerem Jordan and Amy Gant. Um, they're on the call for both of those games uh, this weekend. Women's well, soccer up to number 13. They're back. Yeah. Up to number 13 in the polls today after a couple of big victories last week. Allie Fryers, the WCC Offensive Player of the Week. Davina Vaca is the Defensive Player of the Week. When you win those two awards, you've had a good week yeah. for your team. They host 
Santa Clara. They're number 23. That's Saturday night at Southfield. It's going to be a cool, cold night. But this is a rematch of last year's national semifinal match, which BYU won. And the Cougars need this one to stay in contention. They're right behind Santa Clara. BYU's got a few more ties. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, you need wins instead of ties when you're trying to get points. But it keeps them in the thick of things. BYU TV's coverage starts at 8 Eastern, 6 Mountain. That's an hour earlier than normal with Spencer Linton and Carlos Winston Haslam on the call. Place will be rocking, hopefully. Hopefully it won't be too cold, but that is a mega match. Yeah, and it really feels like they found their groove. It, you think about it, this is a national title game team last year. They lost some crazy talent, but had a ton of talent coming back. And I feel like early in the season they had to kind of gel. Yeah. Well, they've gelled. This is a team that can make a run now. They're, they've really found their, their uh, identity and play. We need great. to get Jen Rockwood back on the show yeah. as, as we close to the tournament. Uh, and, and just kind of, you know, we, she was with us before the season began. And it's been a roller coaster. Us, yeah. But as you mentioned, it's all moving. Yeah, it's the right going way forward now. for sure. How about BYU baseball? The Cougars wrap up the fall exhibition schedule on Saturday at Miller Park. 1 p.m. admission is free. So Let's hope the weather will be 50 and sunny. Is that baseball weather? Not really. Uh, the Phillies are going to play uh, in that kind of weather in the World Series. Bryce Harper, the National League MVP, we should congratulate him. His wife, Kayla, played soccer at BYU and Ohio State. And last January, if you remember, Harper was in town. He's a loyal UNLV fan, grew up in Vegas. But he stopped by BYU's practice facility and talked with the team. He and the Phillies opened the World Series on Friday at Houston. I'm all in on Harper. I uh, wish him the best of luck. And MVP, hit the home run to put he him in. He's pounding the ball right That's, now. Uh, that, he's living the dream and... And, uh, and he's doing it the right way and, and doing the right thing. So Bryce Harper, a running rebel, uh, but he's got cougar blood in him, and, and uh, even if he denies it. Uh, but he's been here, and he helped the baseball team. That makes him part of us. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, he's and in. You and I always have a soft spot. You especially you spent a lot of years as the voice of the Rebels and uh, as the sports anchor and, and doing uh, news down in Vegas. For how many years were you down there? More 20, than 20. 20 years. Yeah. 20 years and then you you looped me in and, and got me a gig doing games with you that's right we were so doing you, rebel you and games I did rebel a couple of byu games guys on TV. the biggest coup ever two byu two B- guys we were doing you and lb for a couple of years we we're traveling to hawaii with them and it took them years to figure yeah, out one like, day someone woke up going why do we have byu guys calling yeah, our games calling you and, and why are we taking them to hawaii every year like so <laughs> oh because yeah. you know what we were all right and then the production facility of sports west that came with us right was really good no, it was it, it was really fun. So you and I have a soft <laughs> spot spot in our hearts for for Vegas, any for for UNLV and the Rebs a little bit, and and so uh, so good luck to yeah, Harper. Yeah, Bryce Bryce is a big UNLV guy. So hey, how about cross country? So BYU men and women's teams compete. They're at the WCC Championships on Friday in Portland. Um, they are the first sports to wrap up competition in the WCC for the fall season. Uh, the B- BYU men are ranked number two in the country, and the women are number five. So we wish them the very best uh, this weekend in the WCC Championships, which I'm assuming both will win. This is a big week for them because, yeah. you know, they're after national championships, but you just got to deal with this. It's the final time, too. That's right. There's no more WCness for uh, cross country. It's all Big 12. They're the first sport, I think, that finishes and moves on to the Big 12 as far as the next – Level right, of competition. Next level. So it was it was fun to have Ed Eyestone uh, on with us, their coach, uh, the men's men's coach and the track coach. Have we not had every coach on this show? I think, I think we have. We, we got a few we still need to chase down. We got to get Olmstead on before the oh, men's volleyball. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And um, women's volleyball, as you mentioned, is right in the thick of things. So yep. maybe after hey, the Hey, women's cross country and track uh, uh, coach, we need to get her here too. She's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Um, 
it was fun to have Ed because when we talk about can can you guys compete in the Big 12, he kind of looked at us like, in cross country? Yeah, we're number two in the country. <laughs> we, we we compete for national championships. He doesn't know we, we knew does, that. We were just setting him up. We're just asking it's him. It's like, hey, let's just ask you the He's question. Like, we, we compete in any league. Yeah. We're like the best in the country. Don't forget it. And you know what? I appreciate that. So he didn't say it like that. I'm putting words in his mouth. But DJ, will you put the AFR graphic up? Because it's a Pirates theme. It's Halloween. We're heading right. into Halloween. Um, next Tuesday night, after further review, we'll break down. You know, we got Pirates gold up there because the East Carolina Pirates are coming in. Right. Friday night at the stadium. So Tuesday night, we'll break this game down. And then we'll set the stage for the last blast at Boise State. Remember, they're not playing anymore after they had like a 23, it felt like a 23-year series. Right. Um, that's off, and so it all comes down to one last date on the blue turf, so we'll preview that one. It's next Tuesday, 7 Eastern, 5 Mountain on the free BYU TV app, just before an all-new Wise Guys on YouTube, Twitch, and YSGuys.com. I always felt like Mike Leach should have coached at East Carolina. Because he, he's Cause he, like, he loves pirates. oh, he's so into pirates. And I'm like, wouldn't it be appropriate? Like, <laughs> he's not going to go coach there now. Now now he's at Mississippi State, and he's been at Washington State. He's like, he's far beyond that. You know what? And he's a BYU grad. I always have to remind myself yeah, of that. Don't you think that he should have coached East Carolina at some point yeah. in his career with as much as he loves pirates? <laughs> Maybe that's where his final well, resting place One time be. I was in his office, and I, I walked in, and I go, Mike, what's... It's all the pirate stuff. He goes, oh, man, I am so into pirates. I was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> he's, he's something else. Uh, our, coming up on The Wise Guys, November 1st, Alema Harrington is going to join us, our friend from back in the old days at BYU and BYU TV and, of course, with all he's doing with the Utah Jazz. Max Hall's back with us as we size up uh, this Friday night and, and uh, get ready for Boise State. We'll also check in with the Boise alumni chapter head for the activities as a uh, as uh, BYU heads north for the final time. And then uh, Kellen Fowler is going to be with us in studio, uh, your son, on November 8th. And you know who's coming after him? I don't want him to be intimidated. But Brandon Campbell of Neon yeah. Trees is going to yeah. be sitting right there. They're, bo- they're both going to be in studio with us. Yeah, and I so. asked him, I said, hey, can you play Rise and Shout on, on your guitar? Yeah. And, and we'll and, see what and happens. Unless people that. forget, Kel- Kellen you know, started... I don't know how many straight games, two and a half straight years at free safety for BYU, was a first-team academic All-American and a finalist for the Drady Trophy for the top academic athlete in the United States in all sports. And then he was the Mountain West, the only, in the entire time that BYU was in the Mountain West Conference, the only Mountain West Student Athlete of the Year award winner. So Fantastic. as a top athlete. That'll raise West. the IQ of this show. Yes, we're going to bring the IQ up way, David, way high in this one. David Nixon's coming back November 15th, and so is... Uh, DeLewis Porter, NASA pilot, BYU guy. He's got some stories. Yeah, we got some. There's, there's some <laughs> it's going to be awesome. We have some, like, are you like, not only we do, do we do sports, but uh, we've just reached into some of these other areas that have BYU ties. And it's been so fun for us. We hope it's fun for you guys. Um, but like to have, have Brandon Campbell in here is going to be really, really cool for yeah. Neon Trees. And, and having DeLewis in here, yeah, he's going to talk that? about flying some planes that are just going to go. We're going to ask him if, if the, what he does is cooler or Clark Heymond. Because Clark Heyman's our guy that coordinates all the flyovers around the country, and so Lewis was in the older in the older jets, F, but F thirty fives and all of that. I think he flew the C two, and and we're gonna have some so cool. cool. Stuff. It's gonna be so fun to talk about him. Our next guest was the head basketball coach at BYU between nineteen ninety seven and two thousand five, where he inherited a one in twenty five team and took them to the NCAA tournament four years later. Finished with one hundred and thirty eight wins, he left BYU to become head coach at Fresno State, which he did for six seasons. Now. 
retired. He plays a lot of golf, including today. It's our pleasure to welcome our longtime friend, Steve Cleveland, to the Wise Guys, live from Fresno, California, in the man cave. Coach, good to see you. Good to see you guys. Hey, how come you and I, like, have we ever played golf together? Uh, I don't think you've ever wanted to play with me. No, that's not, see, that's not a true statement. Like, we're going to start off with a false statement? No. Let me tell you about playing. I've, I've wanted to play Let me with tell you about playing golf with Coach Cleve. First, he's left-handed. So, you're, for a minute, you're thinking, well, there's Phil Mickelson and Steve Cleveland and, uh, and the lefty from BYU won the Masters. Yeah. Why can't oh, I think, think about Weir. Weir. Mike Weir. Those are the three lefties on the planet. That and it, and when you're golfing with Steve, you're with one of the three left-handed golfers on the planet. And then he hits it low with his irons, and it goes like 300 yards. And then he'll go, ah, missed that one. And, and, and then, he's like, and come they on. Hit the green, do they hit the green and then just stop? He puts a little backspin on it. Nice. Rolls it up in there. How, I, how did you shoot today? Uh, you know, I shot 81. I played better than back nine. I shot a 39, so... It was good. It was good. <laughs> so we, we hey, beautiful day. I think we're done. With, degrees. We're done with golf around here unless we come over and play with you, Coach. Because it's not gonna. It's winter over here now. May, maybe like if you come down to the tournament with us this year, we could play in Vegas. That would be sweet. Oh, I'd love to do that. Do you, and I know a guy named. I don't know if you know. I know a guy named Dave McCann. He's got some hookups in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, we got. We Dave and I both have lots of you, golf. You have good Vegas. golf hookups. His are better than mine. His are better than mine. Hey, when, when you had to coach a team that's lost its confidence like the BYU football team has, what kind of things did you do as a coach to help bring it back? You know, obviously I'm dealing with 15 or 16 guys and they're dealing with, you know, 80 or 90. But I, I think the, the first thing that would come to my mind would be kind of the connections and relationships with young people. And, I mean, for me, if I had a kid or if Travis Hansen was struggling – it may be me and Travis Hansen on the court after practice by ourselves. And I did a lot of one-on-one -on -one things, whether it was on the floor or maybe just going to lunch and just getting that connection and making sure it's there and that he understands that I trust him and that I'm with him. Because anybody that has been involved in athletics has gone through highs and lows. And so I, I think for, you know, for a football team, I've never, I, last time I played football, I think was Pop Warner in seventh and eighth grade, but I, the, the one thing that I really have seen and watched the last two or three years is that Kalani has developed a, a, a really healthy culture. And uh, everything, all the evidence that I have seen is that he has great relationships with his guys. He has a great relationship with the community and his staff. And But I, I think the first thing I always did was either go out and work a guy out or watch film together. I'm telling you right now, that when you as a head coach, go and it's just you and that individual. And I don't know whether it's a quarterback or a wide receiver group, a small group, when you can have that one-on-one -on -one or one-on two or three guys and sit there and just talk honestly and kind of navigate the difficulty that maybe they're going through at a particular time, uh, it, it strengthens guys' confidence to know that the head coach would sit down. And I, I found that when I would have really had guys, especially guys that had performed in the past, much like this group has done, um, I, I just found like we had a lot of success there and it, and it kind of got them comfortable, put them in a position where they got their confidence back and they knew that I had their back and that I trusted them. And I think those are things that are really important. And I mean, I, I've watched this football program and I, I know they have all those culture things working. They have amazing relationships and maybe you can't just meet with a few guys, but I think as a head coach and whatever sport I was, 
I, I would reach out to the leaders of that team. The, the seniors, the juniors, the guys that are counted on in the locker room. Yeah. And I, those are always were the first guys that I tried to make contact with yeah. and get a pulse of the team and where we were and then work from there on the technical things. I mean, one of the things that's the most disruptive thing that ever happened in my tenure was injuries. And all of a sudden that depth chart, you know, football, I got so many guys, but I know in basketball, you lose a couple of key guys, it can be really disruptive. No matter how good an attitude, no matter what your culture or what you, everything you're doing, uh, it can be difficult if you don't have the guys that you need on on the field or on the floor at that given any given time. You know, you know, Cleve, you talk talk about maybe getting with some guys individually. Football team's really big. This could still be effective, though, right? So if you if you took a handful of guys that you knew that the rest of the team looked up to, you take a Jaron Hall, who's the quarterback, and maybe a Puka Nakua. Would it work if you just did it with a couple of guys on the offense and a couple of guys on the defense? Would they, in turn, then go lead the rest of the group for you if you could make that connection and build their confidence? I have always felt the best teams that I ever coached for 35 years in high school and junior college and, and Division One that our most successful teams were the player-led teams. They, they weren't coach-led. I, I think there's a misnomer in the public's eye that coaches do this and coaches do that. Let me tell you, players win games. Players win games. Coaches, yes, they put the schemes together, and but at the end of the day, the guys who win games are, are the players. And you've got to entrust them to do the things that they're good at. I, I like it. I, I mean, I've never coached football before, and maybe that's just too large a group. But I, I think getting together with those that are leaders can, can always be a positive thing. And let them take control of that locker room without coaches there. You know, I, I think a lot of times when guys have come back to me when we were struggling, I'd get word back, hey, the guys met together. Man, that's a good sign when the guys meet together and they kind of work through those things. And, um, you know, that's what that's what great teams have. They have player-led teams. And uh, But there's a lot of things that impact winning and losing and how you navigate all those difficulties. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. And that, that's the thing that's most impressive to me is – how good this program's been and what amazing coaches they must have, that they must have relationships. And I know right now everybody's kind of is uh, losing their minds a little bit with what's happened, but you, you have to, coaches and players have to trust in what they know that you can't all of a sudden change all the schemes. That, that's not happening when you played eight games already. You can make adjustments. You can certainly give new guys opportunities but uh, this is a time when the five or six or eight or ten guys that are leaders in this team need to step up and uh, hold everybody accountable. I'm talking about players, not coaches. Former BYU basketball coach Steve Cleveland with the Wise Guys tonight. Now, I remember watching your introductory news conference from my house in Vegas uh, when you were named head coach at BYU, and I remember wondering, Steve Cleveland, who is, who is that? Fresno City Community College, where is – where is that? And I called my dad, who was the director of the Cougar Club, and he said, trust me, this guy's going to be good. And you were good. But when you interviewed for the job, did it matter to you at all that the team you were inheriting had just gone 1-25? You know, that's an interesting question because I don't, I don't think I ever really thought about that. Um, Lynn Archibald, a dear friend of mine, uh, was really a, a point of contact for me, and he's one that – it kind of made a phone call to me that, you know, possibly getting involved in the job. And uh, obviously that was a difficult time in his life because 
his health and he it, it, right. it had been a real struggle and we had developed a friendship jerry tartanian was a really good friend of his they were college teammates and he had coached with them so we had kind of a connection and lynn would come through town and recruit and uh he he kind of shared with me kind of opened the door for me but i don't ever really remember thinking that i don't think i ever once thought oh my goodness you know they won one game i knew roger reed i i mean i had been on roger reed i had come to visit with roger two or three years later earlier when there was a job opening there i had been in roger's office i had been uh met with him when he came and played fresno state we're good friends and i knew he's a great coach and all the circ i didn't know all the circumstances yeah. But to this day, he's one of the best coaches I've ever been around. I mean, the guy can flat out coach. And I, I learned a lot from him. And so when I had this opportunity to get involved, uh, you know, I turned the paperwork in and did all those things. But Lynn, Lynn really helped me navigate that and, uh, and got me in the door. And I spent a couple of hours with President Bateman uh, when I came to make a visit, like a, probably a lot of those that were candidates for the job. And... Uh, it just felt really good. I, I still didn't really believe, I don't think in my mind, <laughs> that they were going to hire a guy like me coming from a community college that nobody knew. But it, it felt good. And the more I was around President Bateman and, and, and the, those that I met with and talked with, and at that time, uh, it seemed in my heart that this was a good place for me and, 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 a, and a great opportunity. And it worked out and uh, just changed my life. Coach, so you, you get the job. How long are you in the job where you're actually here and you're seeing what the pieces are and all of that before you can wrap your head around, oh, wow, this is, what, this is the amount of work that it's going to take to get this thing back rolling again. How long was that? What was that moment like? That, that, so I, I remember flying back to Fresno. I was coaching still. And, you know, you know how Juco guys are, man. I mean, we, we were together. They were so excited for me. And, uh, and we ended up finishing the state playoffs. And I got on a plane and I flew. And as I was flying back by myself, and I was, uh, you know, at that time I didn't even have a staff. I mean, I knew Heath Scheuer was going to be with me. But at that point in time, I had no idea who was going to hire. And there was, on that plane, some real soul searching <laughs> and I thought, Oh my gosh, what have I got myself into here? You know, <laughs> and, you know, cause you believe you can do anything. And, and I, I learned so much from so many people that influenced me, uh, people outside of the program, guys in the program. Uh, Rondo Felberg was amazing. Uh, just such a good friend and guided me and trusted me, but it was, it was a challenging time. And we had to immediately go to junior college kids. You know, there was no portal. I wish there had been a transfer portal. It would have <laughs> yeah. been a lot easier. Well, speaking, uh, of, speaking of junior colleges, you go down to Dixie to find your assistant coach, Dave Rose. So you go down to St. George and make the pitch. Does he think you're nuts? He's like, what? So let me tell you a story about Dave. So <laughs> that year previously, we had gone to their tournament down in Dixie. And we, we never played each other. We played L.A. City College, and I think we played some team in the desert. And uh, – we ended up not playing each other, but I got to know him a little bit. But the person I knew was his assistant, John Wardenberg. I had met John working a few BYU basketball camps. And so, you know, as I'm thinking about a staff and his name kept coming up in my mind. And uh, so I, I immediately go back to Hutchison for the junior college tournament 
and I'm by myself. I'm, I'm meeting. I'm, I knew a lot of junior college guys. And I knew a lot of assistants because a lot of assistants that come into my, we had a lot of really good players at City, right. a lot of Division One guys. So I knew a lot of coaches. That night when I was in Hutch, I just had an impression to call Dave. And when I called Dave, I, you know, it was almost like I was, really, hey, Dave, this is Clay. Uh, how are you doing? And, and I said, I want to talk to you. So, well, you, you want to talk to John? And he knew John and I were good friends. I think in his mind, he thought, yeah, uh, he's thinking I'm, I want to hire John Wardenberg at the time. And I go, no, I don't want to talk to John. I want to talk to you. I said, I'm flying back to Salt Lake uh, t- tomorrow morning. Where are you going to be? He says, well, Chanel's playing in the state high school basketball tournament up in Salt Lake. Gave me the time. I flew in. Uh, got my car and went over to a little restaurant and sat down with him. And I spent about two hours with him. And I think he was a little bit in shock, to be honest with you. (laughs) And it was like, what? And, and, uh, you know, and so we, so anyway, we had a great talk. I think he felt good about it. He wanted to share, you know, I, I said, talk to your wife, chat with her and then let's meet in a day or two, because in fact, why don't we just meet tomorrow and as you're coming down, going back to St. George, we can all talk about it. So fast forward a day, we're in my office, Dave comes in, Chanel, his wife, you know, everybody's there, Cheryl's there. And I start, to, you know, talking to them as a group and, and about my experience of getting the job. And uh, all of a sudden, I start talking about Dave coming and working. And all of a sudden, Chanel has got like crocodile tears. She's crying. Cheryl's crying and I look at Dave and he's got a smirk on his face. I said, please tell me you've talked to him about the conversation we just had for two and a half hours. And he goes, no, I never said anything. I said, give me a break, Dave. Come on. So I had, I had to manage that and work through that. And, you know, Chanel, she's going to a senior in high school, going to leave all her friends. She didn't care anything about BYU basketball. And, uh, Anyway, that's that was the beginning, and then eventually Dave and I had spent about four months living in the Marriott there downtown Provo and put a staff together and and move forward. So it was kind of an interesting experience with Dave. So the two, it's not it's the, the three of you together really because because you and Heath and and Dave are and then Wardenberg was then, in then there. He, Wardenberg eventually came right up to BYU. Yep. And, well, let me tell you a story about Brian Santiago. Oh yeah, yeah. So. so I'm at my house. Now, I knew Brian uh, because he played at Fresno State. And Brian is the associate AD, AD now, right yeah. now with uh, Tom Homo. Okay, right. And so I, Brian is uh, working for a company. He's in sales. Uh, we played some city league together. We had a bunch of group of coaches that particular. I didn't, had not played in a long time. And so I got around Brian a little bit more and, and got to know him and his wife. And But I followed him when he played for Gary Colson at Fresno State, who was the coach there. And we, we were good friends. And one night, so I get the job, and all of a sudden one night, there's a knock on the door, and he goes, Cleve, I got to come with you. I, I want to be a part of your staff. And, and, you know, he's in the sales business, and, <laughs> and he has never coached. He's obviously a really good player. And I said, Brian, first of all, this is stretch them hiring me. Okay? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, they had to go out on a large limb just to hire me. And then I bring in more junior college guys, and now I'm going to tell them I'm going to bring in a guy that's a salesperson <laughs> who's got a really solid basketball background. And so, you know, I just, I mean, it was like he was really disappointed. I said, well, we can talk more about it. 
And so I started thinking about Brian and how good he was with people and those kinds of things. And I thought, I, I called Rondo and I said, hey, we've never had an ops guy here. There'd never been a basketball operations yeah, guy. Director of basketball operations, yeah. Yeah, we've never had that at BYU. And so I, I, I said, hey, can we fund it? Can we do this? And through it all, we were able to create that position. And, and Brian was able, now the, the funny thing about Brian, we didn't have any room, there was no office. So Brian and I, this is honestly the only place in America this would happen. <laughs> Brian and I share an office for four years. Four the years. head coach and it, the director of basketball operations share an office. It's insane. And if they make matters worse, over there in the corner of the office are stacks of catalogs and books and things of all the stuff he's still selling. So he's working that job. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> You're quite an office. A lot of coming yeah, and going it was, there. It was a little crazy, but Brian Brian was a great asset to me and to the staff in, in many different ways. There's a side story, which we're not going to talk about tonight, but we'll talk about when we get Jeff Judkins on here. Mm-hmm. Is that creation of that position that you did for Brian was the same position that allowed you to bring Juddy from Utah to BYU and then over to the women's head coaching job where he's uh, been a legend until retiring. And so that creating that little thing for Santiago turned into some really big things for the whole athletic no, no department. Question. You uh, know, and we will tell that story. I will tell you this, though. I got a phone call from Judy one night at about 1145 from him to me, who I really didn't know him that well. And, and that's where it started. And Judy's been a dear friend ever since. Yeah. Hey, is there is there a game early on, Cleve, that – that you look back on and you just go, yeah, that that's where it turned. That's that's where I knew that we were on to something and that we were going to turn this thing around and eventually we'd be an NCAA tournament team. It actually happened our first year. And uh, I remember us, we at that time were like, well, I don't know, we were probably like six or seven and 16 or whatever. We, I mean, it was it, we had such a difficult task that first year and we were undermanned and undersized and coaches that were trying to figure stuff out but I I will never forget our road trip to New Mexico and to UTEP we had seven wins we needed to win both games which was an impossible at that time New Mexico was 13th or 14th in the country sellouts and at the pit go at, at UTEP I called that and game, I coach. I called that game for KSL in the pit, and you rolled out the black uniforms. Yep, we did. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yes. that. that was a classic. We we didn't have enough guts to do that on campus for fear that I might get you know, they might fire me, and uh, for just having black of anything, you know, in terms of a uniform, that was so different. Because this but wasn't the in the color scheme, yeah. Yeah, the guys wanted to wear them, and I said, "Let's go, man. We got nothing to lose," and we went in there, and obviously. Uh, it was a crazy night, and we end up beating New Mexico, losing a 20-point lead in the second half and coming back and winning that game. I can remember the next morning, nobody's going to know this guy. You guys will remember Sports Babe was a very famous sports yes. journalist. Yeah. The Sports she Babe. Me, yes, he called me at 7 o'clock in the morning. Coach Glee, congratulations on that huge win. And then uh, we go to UTEP. I get, I get to Coach Haskins. And I get there at UTEP, we're practicing, and he comes on the floor and says, Coach, I don't know you. Love to spend a few minutes with you when you're done, uh, if, you, if you'd like to meet. I said, oh, I'd love to meet. And uh, so when practice is over, I, I go up to his office, and uh, he sits down with me, and he said, man, 
He says, you know, he's, that was a hell of a win coach. I don't know how you guys did that. You know? <laughs> and I said, Hey, it happened. And, and, uh, he said, can I give you a little bit of advice and counsel? You know, I mean, this is, this is from an iconic coach. I'm saying, hey, this, this is the bear. This is yeah. the bear. I'm all ears. And he says, first of all, I'm kind of looking at your schedule, man. I don't know who's making the schedule, but you're going to schedule yourself right out of a job. <laughs> so number one, get control of your schedule. Okay. Great advice. And number two, he says, number two, I know you just got there, but man, you guys aren't good enough. You're not going to last long in this job if you don't get some guys. <laughs> I said, Thank you, coach. Thanks, coach. And he said the third thing, and it's a bit down the line, is you just got to really coach them up. And I looked at him, you know, and I thought for him to even take any time with me, I so appreciated. But I'd never forgotten that. And we ended up beating them in like triple overtime. Yeah. And it was an incredible experience. We won both those games, and we that first year qualified for the WAC tournament. That's right. So that, that was right. somewhat of a miracle. But that right then and there, I knew down the road that good things were going to happen. A little bit down that road, you win the conference championship in Vegas in the tournament in 2001. Now, BYU's only won one other conference tournament title uh, since 1992, and that's the one you won in 2001 that's a long time for just two titles uh but you beat new mexico to get to the big dance what was that feeling like when you walked out the floor knowing that you were going to the big dance for the first time as head coach man i can't tell you how i get little tingles right now you just bringing it up it's one of those things that we had been through so i tell you what the hardest thing was is getting young people in the state of utah to think that we had a real program yeah. And we fought that tooth and nail, man. I mean, it's like nobody would talk to us. Nobody. Utah dominated all the recruiting and and, and and other schools outside. And it was really hard. And I had a chance. I sat there with Terrell and McKelly, Terrell Day and McKelly Wesley, Trent Whiting after the game. And we just kind of sat there and had a quiet moment together, especially McKelly, who had been through so much and been there from the beginning. And to win that and to celebrate that, uh, yeah, that's a special, and you know what? That group still this day. Terrell Day got married uh, uh, about a year ago, and in fact, Brian Santiago came down. Some guys came down for his wedding. There's still that group is still really close, mm. and and it's because of that some of those turning of the program and getting back to where we can get back to the tournament and win championships again. Yeah, we I, we could see those guys around. You know, we had Trent here. His wife, of course, is the, the new basketball coach here on the women's side. And he came in studio yeah. with us, and we had a great visit with him. Hadn't seen him for a long time. I see McKelly around a lot. It, it's really fun to see those guys. And as you as you you talk about teams that are player led, you got some great leaders in those early days. Um, and, and when you finally turn the corner and you're going to NCAA tournament now, I, I would think that those were player led teams, right? They were all player. I mean. You know, Travis Hansen ended up becoming a great leader, but McKelly was, I mean, he really was the foundation. But I look at Terrell, who was soft-spoken, Trent soft-spoken, Eric Nielsen, great leader. You know, Matt Montague, guys, Nate Cooper. You're, you're talking about guys that were all really driven. And, 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 you know, they had to live through some really difficult times and some really difficult defeats. And they just never gave up. And uh, and that, that was... And even, even when I left, I mean, I started thinking about uh, Keena Young and Lee Kamard and, and uh, you know, all that, that group that uh, 
continue that tradition. And they watched all those guys. And so there, there was that leadership and, and, and Dave just did an amazing job with those guys, but the culture was set and it was there and, and, and it, give all the credit to those guys uh, who just have carried on that program. And then obviously there's still a great tradition in the program always has been, but early on when it was real easy, not to, to believe we could get something done. It was so nice to be able to have players surround you and say, Coach, we can do this. Former BYU head basketball coach Steve Cleveland's on the Wise Guys tonight live from Fresno. Before we shift to the current Cougars, let me ask you this, and I love those pictures behind you. There's there's you as a coach at the Marriott Center with a packed place, and then there's there's you at uh, – what's it called for Fresno? What's that arena called? Save Mart Center. Save Mart Center, yeah, that's Dave, right. Dave and I did a whole – Tournament over oh, yeah. at St. Martin's. We spent Center, some time there. Where we were calling four games a day. I was about to go out of my mind four games a day. <laughs> so, what was more meaningful, Steve? Your first big win at BYU or the night you came back to BYU as Fresno State's head coach and received a standing ovation? Oh. You know, that was a, that was a special thing. I mean, the Fresno thing was really hard. And when all of a sudden lots of sanctions came down, things I didn't expect that would happen. But coming back to BYU that year uh, meant all everything in the world to me. I mean, I, I we were, <laughs> I think I don't I don't I never usually cried before a game, but I was really emotional. It was a really difficult time, and and uh, and they obviously had a great team. And playing them the year before at the Save Mart Center, uh, you know those those experiences. I mean, I start thinking about the beginning we when we started the, you know putting the camps together and changing how just the little things with a father and son camp yeah. that we started many years ago. And I think how that created even it, it helped our fan base and got people interested in the program again. And a lot of those kinds of things that we were able to do, but no, nothing ever felt like it did when I went back to the Marriott center. I mean, that's a special place to me always will be. And, uh, you know, I, I can look back. There are times, no, you, I'm not any different than anybody else. You kind of second guess yourself about things. And and uh, I, I know this, that a lot of the guys that were in the program and guys that continue to play for Dave, I've continued to have a relationship with. Jonathan Tomlinari is a character. I saw him <laughs> yes. when I was back, <laughs> when JT was back. And I was there last year for a volleyball match. And I saw him and we got a chance. And I remember, you know, him making a commitment in my kitchen. And, and how much I love that kid and so happy for his success and all of the guys that continued on. But that was a special night, Dave. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about current program. I have one other question. Which is a more difficult job? Head basketball coach, division one basketball coach, or mission president? Or is it the same job? <laughs> uh, or add one more. Uh, Bishop of a YSA ward yeah, that you just y- completed. Which, which is which is the <laughs> toughest assignment? And we just had Brandon Noman on as yeah, a stake and, president and of a YSA. Is a YSA stake president right now, and he just preceded you on the show. But and for those that don't know, Coach Cleveland was the mission president back in the Indianapolis, Indiana mission, um, and uh, you know they, they did a great job back there. I we had some some of your former missionaries come through our area back here and just just loved you. Um, What's the toughest job? Mission president, bishop of a YSA ward, or a Division One basketball coach? Well, the, the one thing about the church calling is they don't yell and scream and defang your name and get mad at you and upset when you lose. Most of the time they don't, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when we, don't, when we didn't quite get uh, that number of baptisms we were looking for. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing I was the most unprepared for 
was probably the mission president. Um, you know, that, that came as kind of a surprise. And uh, I, you know, I had, Elder Bednar was the one that actually called us and, and, and chatted with us. And uh, early on when we came back after that, I was gonna, I came to work with Dave and, and you guys and yeah. some TV. I was working for ESPNU doing about 20 or 30 games a year. And so that, I knew that was gonna be my home for a while. And uh, when they, they sat down with us and, you know, and asked us if, you know, this is something that we consider, I, I couldn't take the job that year. I said, but let, give us some time. and. And, and, and so Elder Bednar just said, well, we'll come back in a year and let's just see where things are. And uh, Elder Bednar and, and, and then Elder, President Iring, Elder Iring at that time, you know, he and the, he was an instrumental in, in my getting the job. I, I had a relationship with him and uh, they called us again. And Kip and I had, had a year to kind of think about it. And I thought I, I wanted I wanted to maybe consider getting back into coaching. But anyway, long story short. We decided if that's what we're supposed to do, that's what we'll do. And uh, that next 10 or 11 months, um, wow, I, I had a lot of catching up to do. Let's just say that. <laughs> and you get called <laughs> one thing, to. One you... thing that wasn't hard was being around 18 to 25 year olds. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we, we had some, there were some themes, and I was in a state where everyone loved hoops, right. Indiana. And, uh, I have a little presentation that I make called touch all the lines. I can still remember doing that in a state conference and kind of applying it to gospel principles. And I, I'm looking down at like 70 and 80 year old women in the congregation and they're nodding their heads. And, you know, these are people who've grown up with hoops. And I said, you guys know what a line tag is, you know, everybody <laughs> in the place knew what a line tag was. Yes. You know? <laughs> so that, that has probably been the most difficult thing and probably the most life-changing for me. Yeah. And, and I, I would submit, I don't know, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, Coach. You told us that the very best teams you've ever been associated with were player-led. How about in the mission field? Are the very best missions the ones that are missionary-led, where the leaders oh, no are with question. you? No question. You know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just mention his name because he's playing with Elder Hamuli who's on the football team this year. Yes. And he had been at Stanford and he was my last assistant to the president. Austin. And uh, Houston. The, Houston. Yeah. He, he's a sweet, he's a sweet young man. I had a chance just recently to connect with him about seven or eight months ago and see him and talk to him. I hadn't seen him, but there is no question that the leadership in a mission is everything with the young women and the young men. And I, I came, I was very fortunate to come into a mission where the missionaries were obedient. They, they struggled a little bit with finding and teaching and baptizing and some of those kinds of things at the time, but man, they bought in, had just a man. And then our second, the last year we had a temple dedicated, Indiana, Indianapolis temple. And, yeah. and president Irene came back out and he dedicated that temple. And he just kind of the, one of the guys that had hired me. And so that was special to have a temple built and to see the people of Indianapolis uh, just, just great people. I mean, it, I, I love to, I mean, I wish I need to find those Midwest prices for homes. And yeah. Oh, and yeah. Good luck with that. You get so, a river, wait, you get a lake would, back would, there. Would Paul George come by the mission home when, when you were out there, your guy, no, Paul? no, no. I, I saw Paul. I had to give permission. I had, I called my IFR. I said, is it all right if I go to a game? And <laughs> it, it took, and let, I'll tell you how dumb I was. I didn't know this for the first year. Kip and I never took a preparation day. 
it was supposed to be, well, you just pick a day, afternoon, evening, you know, Friday night. And finally I asked one of the brethren, I said, like, do, do we have a preparation day? I said, yeah, you just take an evening or whatever. Once I heard that, then I, then I went, <laughs> I went to three or four games and I had my grandkids come out once or twice and we, they went into the locker room. And so I connected with Paul there and saw two or three games. It was fun to see him. And, and we did, you know, some good things we did for the church there too, because there was a number of articles about why I was there yeah. being his coach. And uh, it, it was, it was a pretty cool thing. And being a basketball coach and a mission president in the state of Indiana, it kind of, it helped me uh, develop relationships quicker than normal. That's okay. I don't know if I, did I tell you Cleve about when I ran into Paul and Kawhi at the, at the, no. it, I should have told you this. I don't know why I didn't call you and tell you this, but I, they were playing the jazz in the playoffs clips were playing the jazz and I happened to be in a morning breakfast meeting up at the um, uh, the Grand America, and and Kawhi and Paul come around a corner as I'm coming out. We all had masks on at the time, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And and I'd done a bunch of stuff with Kawhi when he was at San Diego State covering the league. So I pull my mask down. And I say, Hey, Kawhi, but it's Blaine Fowler from the from, and he's like, Oh my gosh! Like, and so he came over and we talked about. Um, coach down there and San Diego State Parker, those coaches down there, I love those guys. And, you know, they're good friends of yours. But so we're talking and Paul's just kind of off on the side, not saying much, just being quiet, you know, not. And I said, hey, and by the way, I have a dear friend that that you know well. And I said, Coach Cleveland's a very close friend of mine. Oh, my gosh, Coach. Like he came over and then he just brightened up and he just talked about um, – like the influence that you had been on his life and how great you were and all this. I'm like, wow. Like it, it was really, really cool to talk to him. And he had, he had no interest in having a conversation. He knew that Kawhi and I knew each other. He had no interest in having a conversation. As soon as I mentioned you, he was right over in that conversation. He couldn't say enough about you. I should have told you that it was great. Yeah, let me, let me tell you an experience. His parents, when he, when he decided to, after two years to go, go out, I mean, he stays for two years and we're really good. <laughs> yeah, what he, that's, and, you yeah. talk about players, was, right? There's one of the greats. His parents and him came in and wanted to meet with me. And, I mean, it, I, it's hard for me to even talk about, but it was a very emotional meeting between the, the four of us. And they were came in there to apologize because they knew how hard it was to build this thing and dealing with all the sanctions and loss of scholarships and all that kind of stuff. They knew how hard it had been, and they knew that Paul would be the anchor of this team. And I will never forget that. I mean, they did. I said, do not apologize for a minute to me. This young man has earned this. He's done it on his own. He's worked. He wasn't a highly sought-after high school player. He just worked his way to a point where, after a sophomore year, he wasn't even first-team all-conference. But guys knew this guy had the huge upside and so i i i love paul i love his mom and dad i i had a chance to connect with them a couple of times in indiana when i was out there and sat with them and uh but i appreciate you sharing that with me he he's a great great young man we went down to a clippers game took my kids down there and, and uh during christmas time and fun fun to see him and um just great young man, having yeah. a great career. Yeah, my my bad for not sharing that with you sooner. I should have called you right after that, coach, and and told you because I was really taken back by yeah. his fondness. Great, it was Paul, really, it was really fun. A Paul years George, ago. Yeah, Paul George with the Clippers, uh, one of your big fans, and and you helped uh, get him where he is. And it's fun to see that that appreciation. Mark Pope is going to roll out the blue white game tomorrow. Blaine and I'll be on the call, and you can see it on the BYU TV app. He's got a cornucopia of new faces on this roster. We've actually never seen 
a roster with more overhaul. Uh, but when you take fifth place in the WCC, that's not good enough, and 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 you got to do it. So he went and did it. How hard is it going to be for him to to blend all those guys together when they've had such little time to to get together beyond what the the summer and and a couple of months here in the fall, and that's it. You know, about a few weeks ago, Coach Pope called me and wanted to know if I was coming back for an alumni event, which I wasn't. And, and I, so I, I took just a quick moment. I said, well, how, how are the guys, you know? And, and he says, you know, th- these are great young men. There, there is a huge learning curve for a lot of them. There, you know, anytime you get guys that have never played together together, you know, that chemistry doesn't just pop because you practice hard. I mean, chemistry is something that comes from playing together. And, and he really, you know, he said, I really like this group. It's just going to take time. And, and I, I said, I understand. But it is challenging. It is challenging. And, and I, I think that patience is really important. Patience is important for Mark and his staff. Patience is important for, for the guys. And I think you have to have those conversations. You're, you're, you're not going to make excuses. I mean, all the intangibles, the effort, the attitude, the never giving up and all those intangibles have to be there every day for them to get better. I, and I, I mean, I've seen three or four of them play. And uh, one of the young men, Elder, his, Elder Hall is what he was here in uh, uh, Dallin Hall. Yeah. In yeah. Field in Fresno. I got to know him and spend some time with him. And I loved his spirit about his competitiveness. And it just felt like he was excited about the guys and he'd share a few things with me, but I just know that I've watched this group. I've watched Mark, and it was a tough year last year. Uh, but, but like Kalani, the, these guys, and like Tom Homo, these guys get and understand what, what a culture looks like and what, what it has to look like going forward. And I think people have to be patient. Uh, we tend not to be. I mean, you start thinking about it's, the WCC has been tough enough. as it, I mean, last year was the best WCC league I've ever seen yeah. uh, during the time I've watched with – Gonzaga, St. Mary's, San Francisco, Santa Clara, BYU. And, and the, it was a great league last year. And uh, I don't know how it's going to be. I'm sure St. Mary's and, and uh, Gonzaga and San Francisco has a few guys back, so they might be pretty solid too. But I, I would just say this, that people need to be patient because it, it, you, it just can't happen. Practice is one thing. You've got to have game experience. And a lot of these guys have not played at this level, and they certainly haven't played many reps together. And I, I know they jump into it with a really good tournament. So I, I know this staff knows how to handle this. They, but it, I know the pressures of a community that want them to be successful now. But I would just say people need to be patient. It's going to take a little bit of time. And really, big picture, they're going into the number one basketball conference in America, in the world, <laughs> That's right. Not, right. That, that aren't pros. And, uh, and so sometimes you – have to do certain things to get ready for that next step as well as trying to win games every night. Uh, but I'm excited about watching them. I plan on being in town for a few games. Good. And uh, certainly the Big 12 is going to be just amazing to be a part of that. That would be really fun to have Kansas and the light coming in. We, we, you oh, know, my God. Final Four type teams coming in for home games every year will be fun. A couple of youngins that had that we saw last year, um, Biggs that had some promise. Uh, Fusene Traore, um, he seemed to just improve by leaps and bounds every time he walked out on the floor last year. And then Atiki Ali Atiki, you know, Mark told us last year, man, he's really raw, but his skills, he's like, he has a Big 12 skill set. And when he's just talking about 
physical abilities like feet, hands, you know, jumping ability, length, all those kinds of things. Those two guys, what what can we expect in terms of improvement from last year to this year from those two big guys? I, I think I think probably some of the things like the story inside. I, I think at the end of the year, uh, it, with all the things going on, that it, it became easier for them to, to guard him because guys weren't hitting threes and all of a sudden the perimeter players were knocking shots down and people started sagging and it was really hard. I watched him kind of evolve to about midway through the season. He was getting deep post touches. He was attracting double teams and kicking out and doing those things. And at the end of that season, it was, it was more and more difficult because people were preparing for them differently. I think the thing that you're going to see, I, I don't know, I haven't watched practice, but I think both of them, having gone through what they went through last year, probably motivated them to really spend a lot of time and effort watching film, working out, step, being able to step away. I think for Sora, he's got to be able to step away and hit a 17-foot shot. When he can do that, he can pick and pop, not just roll. I mean, bigs are bigs, and all of a sudden you can front. It's easier to front him and keep him from getting the ball and giving him post touches deep down or covering down. People have different techniques to, to guard both those guys, but they should be coming in with a lot of confidence. Number one, they've been here, they've been through it, and I would expect in their own way, I mean, I don't know either one of those guys, but when you listen to them being interviewed, yeah. I mean, it's so impressive. They seem, without guile, so humble, so willing to work, and, and so all in that I can't help but believe that they're going to be much better this year. And, and I'm sure, too, just through the growth of nerves and matchups and those kinds of things. So they are going to have to rely on those guys early on. What what kind of guard play do you hear from them? Who, they, I know they brought some guys in. Is there anybody that's kind of popped up? The, that, the, uh, the one guy that they're really hoping can be an immediate impact is the Coastal Carolina transfer, Rudy Williams, yeah. um, who they uh -huh. think can, can really help. And and Trey Stewart, fresh off of a mission last year, you know, we talked to Mark, and Mark thought that he'd make a quantum leap from last year to this year, really athletic, um, you know, can play downhill, can turn the corner and finish at the rim, but also can shoot. Um, so, so the, you know, those are two kind of known commodities because – because Trey Stewart was here last year in the program, and Rudy played at Coastal Carolina at a high, high level. But but when you talk about shooting, I think they've been pleasantly surprised by how good the return missionaries are shooting the ball yeah. right, nice. right away. And 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 those are big guys that can shoot, you know, the kind that yeah. you used to love. You, you love those 6'5 wings, right? Um, so, and Hall's not 6'5", but he's really strong. He's a physical kid, right? And so I... I think this team is going to be a much better perimeter shooting team than they were last year, which, as you mentioned, is really going to help Fus and Atiki inside. If you got guys that can knock down shots, oh, everything's yeah. better inside, right? Yeah, that, and that's what happened at the end of the year. I mean, guys weren't shooting, and and uh, and then you double the point guard constantly, and all of a sudden, you know, those guys were attracting two and three defenders, and it was really hard to score in the last three or four weeks of the season. Yes, but if, you, if you can get, you can open that floor up with good perimeter shooting, uh, I don't think we have any idea what the potential is or either one of those guys scoring inside as well. Yeah, Toulson can shoot it. Hall can shoot it. They've got some guys that can shoot it. So Look yeah. forward to seeing them tomorrow night uh, in a scrimmage against each other and then an exhibition game next week, and then, then it starts for real. And, Coach, we look forward to having you on with us uh, 
periodically through the season. One, because you're smart and you've done it and you're a friend and you, you'll do it for free. And so those are four very key things, <laughs> not necessarily in that order. Uh, hey, before we get to five questions and let you go, uh, so let's say we got four left-handed golfers. Uh, we mentioned you, there's Mickelson, there's Weir, and let's throw in Steve Young. Oh, man. Um, and are, then, are you and there's Steve, you. Are you saying Steve's a golfer? Yeah, because he has his, he has okay. his golf so, so fundraiser coach, this and is a all loose that term, stuff. golf. <laughs> so in a free-throw shooting contest, how many shots would you have to spot those guys to make it a fair competition? Uh, I don't, I, I'm thinking Mike Weir didn't play much basketball in high school. Mm-mm. Not in Canada. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking Steve Young seems like he's pretty athletic and would be a good shooter. <laughs> Who was my fourth? Mickelson. Phil Mickelson. You know, the other lefty that he, we know? He can't shoot yeah. it. I don't think Phil can shoot so it. So what, what do you think you'd have to spot him? At? If we were shooting best out of 10? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure that I could make eight. Uh, <laughs> you let me warm up a little bit, I might make 10, but I'd probably make eight. I'm, I'm I'm doubtful that any of them would make five. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you can still don't shoot. Don't tell Steve that. I'm not gonna I, tell Steve. I believe Steve Young might be able to make six or seven. Here's, here's the thing about Steve. That if you set a challenge out for Steve, and it, it doesn't even have to be any money on it, it's just a pride thing. He would spend every day for the next six days shooting nothing but free throws so that he could make nine. That's Steve. I know. That's how hey, he someday, is. By the way, I've got. We don't have time today, but we have got – I have the greatest Steve Young story when we were in Croatia that you could – and I, I believe I told Steve the story, but someday we need an opportunity to tell that story to the BYU crew. Next time we have you on, we're doing it for sure. Yes. So. I, we would have never got into the country if it wasn't for his – For uh, Steve. Wow. Okay, yeah. we're going to make a note of that, and that's going to be priority number one. When we have you and when we have Steve on, uh, yes. we'll, we'll ask him that. We love Steve Give Young. He's, Steve's one, one of my favorites. He's just – we were really close to him. He's taking care of my kids when they were over at Stanford. I, we love the Youngs. They're the best. All right, here come five questions. You ready? Right. Okay. And just answer them fast. First thing that comes to your mind. Favorite sports movie? Hoosiers. I knew it. Why is, why is answer? Fa- favorite you, singer? me, and Marie Osmond. Hoosiers. Yeah, Marie Osmond is Hoosiers, too. Favorite singer or band? Uh, Singer or band? Yeah, I'm an R&B guy. I'm I'm gonna go with uh, Temptations. Ooh, I that's like old that. School. Wait, the Temptations. The I got sunshine. That's yeah, yeah, on a cloudy, cloudy day. Yeah. Yeah, see, Cleve and I get together. We just start singing. Okay, I'm a big R&B guy. Yeah, favorite breakfast <laughs> cereal. Uh, shredded wheat. Well, come on, frosted, oh. shredded wheat. Frosted, frosted, okay. Frosted okay. You saved Gosh, it. You saved it saved because it. we don't allow anyone to choose a healthy cereal. We would have peppered Fro- you for every week of this show from here on out until you came back I, with the I, frosted. I, I, cinnamon to- I like frosted shredded wheat, and I also like that cinnamon toast. Yeah, okay, a lot cinnamon of people toast like crunch. That that's a that's a popular one. Okay. We like yeah. that. Yeah. If somebody comes in here and says like straight wheaties without sugar on it, or not, shredded they wheat, they can never come back on the show. So, Oatmeal without brown sugar. Stop it. Like stop. No, Don't no. even bring that. <laughs> Favorite Halloween candy? Uh, candy corn. You've got to be kidding me. I, I love that stuff. That stuff is the worst. Someone dropped off some on our porch last night. Hey, I thought, hey, I, who I brings mean, somebody today, candy in corn? Day, I'd probably say the little mini Twix. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I like those. Hey, <laughs> just, candy hey, corn. At our house on Halloween, um, Last year, we had 1,100 kids come. Yeah, that's what's, it's a big time. I'm not telling anybody Portland. where we live, but 1,100 kids came. 
Really? Don't, don't let yeah. them down. Don't give out apples this year. Give no, out some no, good no. You got, if you don't give out full-size candy bars in our neighborhood, you get laughed out of the place. It's terrible. Like, I go broke. I have to take out a loan every year for Halloween. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, here's number five. This <laughs> is a good one. Number five. The favorite player you've ever coached. Wow. Man, you know, you hate to answer that question because you leave somebody out. Um, well, if you name the favorite, you have to leave out like 500 other ones. Yeah, so that's not like it's going to be. <laughs> you can't just offend oh. one guy. You can offend like 499. They, they thought <laughs> so of this we, question, by the way, Cleve. I didn't want to put you on the spot like this. That's a hard. Oh, hard. Well, yeah, but this is this one goes right to the core. Yeah. Let's see. You got. It's like he asked me, who's your favorite teammate you've ever played with? I'm like, I'm not telling you that. Yeah. Uh, that's a hard question. Let, let me. Uh, well, you've already talked about Paul George. That was significant. Yeah. You I mean, go back. I mean, to- I, I, I think the the the, the BYU thing. I, I, I will tell you this. I don't have a favorite guy, but I'm I'm going to tell you that the leadership of McKelly Wesley changed this program. And I, and I I think I'll be honest with you. The guy that I knew in Fresno and and had a relationship with in Terrell Day. He was he, he might be the smartest guy I've ever coached. Wow. Terrell um, Dave. But cool. I, I, I listen, Trav, I mean, Trent, I mean, you, you go down the list. I, I, I can't pick so, a favorite because so, they all so many different... amazing guys. I love that though. I don't know that people realize that McKelly Wesley came in on the heels of, you know, some rough and, and literally was the nucleus to turn a program around. He was a dog. And, I, and, and, and like, those guys, Trent Whiting and Travis Hansen would tell you the same thing. Yeah. They would usually say, who, who was the leader of that team? And, uh, and I, I, I appreciate his heart because, because McKelly went through some tough things in his life yes. and he overcame them. And, uh, and, and he's got kids playing now. It's fun to see him on social media. And yes, it's great. That, that's why I see him. I see him out at, you know, the youth basketball stuff. I see him all the time. And when people say, oh, that guy's got some dog in him, like toughness, that's McKelly. I think of McKelly Wesley because McKelly Wesley absolutely had some dog in him. You know why that was yeah, such yeah. a good question? Because it brought out that answer. Yes. So let's not yeah. dog the question. Let's just focus on the answer, which was yep. very insightful. Nice job. Yeah. So, hey, give our best Coach, to Kip. Thanks so much. Yeah, give Kip, Kip a big hug for us, and you know, and the whole whole family. Hey, we're gonna see we'll you see, soon. We'll see you up there this winter for a few games. If you I, get up while it's still warm, we'll go play golf. I'm in the state. Right. I'm in the state. Young men's presence, you know, Skyler. So I see him all the time. Oh, you know, he told me that yesterday. I didn't even know. Yeah, we just I got released from the bishopric up on campus and and moved down, and now I get to see Skyler. We're all running the time. things pretty yeah. loose up here. He did. Skyler told me that. Skyler was with us this last week on business stuff, and so he stayed with us. And he told me, oh, I'm, I'm in the young men's presidency with Wayne. Yeah. Said, this really? is, like the fact that they even give Dave and I jobs just shows you how irresponsible the church is in Utah right now. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You want to move into this stake. That's what you, what you If you ever come back someday, you want to get in this stake uh, where, you've, where you've lived before. But uh, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll be on the app. Check out the team, and then we'll be back to I talk will. about it. Hey, thanks, guys. Good the, great, thanks. the great Steve Cleveland, former head coach at BYU and Fresno State and, and uh, one of our good friends for a long, long time. Not many people leave BYU on their own to go do something else that will be better for them. If they leave BYU, usually they got bounced. Not here. Not here. Yeah. He's like, you know what? He had the guts to take the job, and they also had the guts 
to take the Fresno State job. And they needed Because it was him. what was best for him moving forward, and that opened the door for Dave and Rose. And Fresno State needed him bad, and he yeah. felt a commitment to that community. They had some bad things going on. He took it over and helped straighten it Had to clean up after Jerry yep. Tarkanian. And then, and then, so then there's Dave Rose, which opens the door for Mark Pope, and, and here we go tomorrow yeah, Dave, night. Dave Rose comes to BYU because of Steve Cleveland. And, and then, then, then that legacy goes on. And Dave's a... Did a phenomenal job there. We had some great interviews tonight. Let's run over a couple of things real quick. We'll take care of some housekeeping. We've got a a nice quote from Lavelle, which is fitting, heading into Friday night's game. Uh, let's start with our football picks. Yeah, got to do picks. We all we both went five and zero oh last week, so of course we did. The scores stay the same, but we've got some interesting battles uh, this week. Yeah. So Utah, Utah Washington State Thursday night. Y- like, I'm going to pick Utah because I think Washington State's not that tough, but I know who you're picking on that one. I'm going with Washington State. Because you always don't go with Utah. <laughs> I got It's Thursday night. It's up there. It's going to be cold. If it's cold and rainy, that could make a difference because they, they thrive on that stuff up there. Their fans love it. Yeah, I, I think There's the, something wrong with them. The Cougars win on Thursday, and then the other Cougars win on Friday. Right. Okay. So Notre Dame at Syracuse. Oof. I'm going Syracuse on yeah, that. Yeah, it's a doctor and I. They got jobbed out of that. Game at Clemson yeah. the other night. So are you going Syracuse? I'm going Syracuse as well. Yeah. Notre Dame's not any good. Oh, Ohio State's going to beat Penn State at in Happy Valley. At some point, Ohio State has to have some competition. How about Oklahoma State at Kansas State? I'm going Oklahoma State. Yeah. Kentucky at Tennessee. Now keep in mind, Tennessee plays Georgia the following week. Doesn't matter to me. Tennessee's rolling. Best offense in the country. Just keep it rolling. Tennessee. If that was it, I'm going Tennessee. But Something if that was at right Kentucky, about I'd do college that. football now that Tennessee is back in power. Yeah, that's a special place when it's full. Yep. Uh, Pre-Big 12 showdown, Cincinnati at UCF, not USF. Yeah. UCF. I, um, I, UCF is reeling after East Carolina just beat them, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Cincinnati's the big brother. They're going to win it, Cincinnati. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm going to go Cincinnati there too. So our only different pick is, uh, is you're picking Washington State and I'm picking Utah. But we've got some big ones coming up yeah. like Tennessee, Georgia. Yep, those are yeah, big. Those so, are some. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Cougars in the NFL this week. Yep. Brady Christensen with the Panthers at the Falcons, Tyler Algier. So, Cougs on both sides of that one. Algier scored his first NFL touchdown over the weekend. That's nice right. job. Jamal Williams and the Lions are home against the Dolphins. That's right. Taysom Hill and Danny Sorensen of the Saints um, are home against the Raiders. All Taysom does is score touchdowns. All Zach, Zach Wilson, does is win. He's 5-2. and two. What? All he does is win. Things are going to get tougher, no, though. he's 5-0. and oh. The Jets are five and two. Zach Wilson is five and zero. Oh. Uh, things are going to get tougher now. Schedule turns yeah. for the Jets, and they're all banged up. They're so good on defense, though. Dax Milne and the Commanders are at the Colts. And Dax has had an emerging role, not yeah. just returning kicks. He's catching the ball. It's pretty fun. So, how about uh, Fred Warner and his Forty ers are at the Rams this week? That's going to be a tough game. The Rams are coming off the bye week. Yeah, Monday but- night football. See only Taki Taki and the Browns hosting the Bengals. Yep, and. Uh, Brendan are thinking that um, we're going to be in Miami, and Sione's and the Browns are going to be down there playing the Dolphins in a couple weeks. We, we're going to check. To we're going to get a hold of Sione and see if we can go support him there. On this day in history, a couple of interesting things. Uh, speaking of the Browns, yeah, quarterback Otto Graham set the club record with four fumbles. That's something. <laughs> That's a, I mean, you remember the name Otto? Congratulations, Graham, huh? Otto! One of the all-time greats. First electronic wristwatch goes on sale in, Nor- in New York City in 1960. On this day, everything happens in New York City. Yeah. At, at first, 1964, the Rolling Stones debut on the Ed Sullivan Show. How about that? So, a year after I was born. I don't know what song they sang, but I bet you it was awesome. Yeah. And how about this? Today, October 25th, 1978. Halloween was released in theaters starting Jamie Lee Curtis. Now there's another Halloween out right now, and I think it's called The Last Chapter 
Well, like yeah. so like six or seven, oh, but it came out today, the original, oh and that gosh. freaked out a lot of people. So 1978. How old is Jamie Lee Curtis? That makes me feel old. Well, yeah, because she was in her, she was young. She's got to be She's old. Young, yeah. Okay, October, birthdays. October 25th, birthdays. Uh, one of my favorites, Pablo Picasso, 1981. Yeah, I think that's 1881. I think that's a typo sorry, on yeah, me. Yeah, you're right. Picasso came around. That's my bad. Yep. Liddell Anderson, former BYU and Utah State basketball coach, born on this day in 1921. Loved Liddell. He was so good to me. So, 1921. 1940, Bobby Knight. So, night of coaches. We had Coach Cleve on, these two coaches. 1941, Helen Reddy, I Am Woman. Yeah, oh, yeah, Helen Reddy. She could sing it. And 1984, Katy Perry. A number of songs we could go to there. Uh, one death notable uh, to talk about today, Payne Stewart, 1999. Remember that? With the, was that a plane, was a plane crash? Plane? And like everyone on board they had They all passed out passed and out. it was on autopilot just going. And, and I remember yeah. on the news watching the plane in the sky. So bad. And, uh, and Payne Stewart was uh, like a fun, fun, flamboyant. Always wore like the knickers, yeah. golf pants. So so that was that was today back yeah. in 1999. Wow. Now, our quote for Lavelle as we say goodnight for another week uh, actually, and then we'll see you tomorrow on BYU TV app, and then we'll see you Friday on BYU TV. Yep. We're not going anywhere. We'll be around this week. Uh, we've heard this one before, but considering the football team's adversity it's dealing with, we felt it was perfect to bring back tonight. This is what Lavelle Edwards said about adversity. He said, when we have adversity, we oftentimes tend to look around and think that we're the lone ranger. We tend to believe that we're the only one who has problems, and we always look around and see others who are more talented, taller, smarter, handsomer, or faster. I can assure you everyone has problems, even football coaches. The ability we have to handle this adversity will determine the degree of success that we will have in life. Well, they're dealing with adversity, Yep. and we're curious to see how they handle it on Friday night. Let's get a win this week. That'll make our shows a lot more fun next yeah, week. Yeah, and then we can play Caleb Chapman's Rise and Shout on That's the right. saxophone. Can't play it until they win again. So maybe we can get that done. Max Hall and Alema Harrington join us next week. The podcast will be up tomorrow. Thank you for spending some time with us. Again, uh, go to YouTube and subscribe. Get your friends to do it too. You can do it at Twitch as well. Help us grow this show, and we're going to grow old together. Because right now we're not necessarily old. We're, we're old, but we're not necessarily old. But when we're done with this show, we'll be really old. Yeah, we'll, yeah, because we'll be doing this a long time. Yeah. For Blame Fowler, I'm Dave McCann. We're the Wise Guys. Thank you. Have a great week. We'll see you tomorrow night from the Marriott Center, 9 Eastern, 7 Mountain, on the BYU TV app for our first look at the new basketball team. And we'll see you Friday night for the uh, game day, 4 o'clock. See ya. See ya.